Here we go! Welcome to the Nintendo Power Zone. We are a video cast as podcast dedicated to bringing you the best Nintendo related content. As always, I'm your host, Nice193, and today I'm joined by my co host, Blues. How's it Hello. going today, man? It's going good, it's going good. Been a busy day, but a good day. And it's always, they're always busy, aren't they? Alright, yeah. but on today's show, we're going to talk about a lot of stuff. We're going to start talking uh, about Xenoblade Chronicles 2. Mm-hmm. Finally, uh, we've both beaten the game. So we're going to semi-deep dive that. It's not going to be the traditional format that we normally do a deep dive in. But there are going to be some major plot spoilers. So if you haven't played mm-hmm. that game yet, if you intend to play it, or if you're just not quite beaten it yet, I suggest you make sure you download this episode and come back to it once you beat it because we are going to spoil stuff because you can't really talk about that game and not have spoilers. It's so, a very story-driven story game. Yeah, exactly. it's very hard. So you guys have been warned here in the introduction of our show. Uh, we'll warn you again when we get to the Xenoblade point. But that's not all we're going to do today. Today we have a lot of awesome news to talk about. Uh, can't wait to dive into the news. But we're also going to do our very own version of the N64 Classic Edition. So if, you know, Nintendo's been leading us to something, it's the fact that the Classic Edition systems are their hot new items. And every time they release a Classic Edition console, you know, they're hard to find initially and they're selling like crazy. So what we're going to do is we're going to come up with our own version of the game. It's not just going to be me and Blues talking about this. The other guys are going to show up on a future episode, and they're going to talk about the games that they mm-hmm. want on an N64 Classic Edition. And then, when all is said and done, we're going to come up with 15 total games that could be on an N64 Classic Edition. Mm-hmm. So, all that on this awesome episode. Uh, we are finally back from our vacation. So, it was a long one, but guys, we needed some time off. 2017 was a kick in the balls. And 2018, we needed to just catch our breath. But we're back, and maybe later on we're going to discuss the possibility of doing a bi-weekly show, but we haven't come to that yet. But for right now, let's get into the Powered Up news, because awesome, awesome news. I want to start with the Off the Hook concert that happened this past weekend uh, at the Nico Nico event. Mm -hmm. So, in keeping with the success of Splatoon 1's, holographic concerts, Nintendo decided that they would partner with Nico Nico again to bring us off the hook. So, not a whole lot different from the Squid Sisters concerts that they did uh, at, uh, I guess it was 2016's Nico Nico, and they did it again at Anime Con in France. But this time, you know, now that we're Splatoon 2 is out, they're talking about uh, showing us off the hook. And I don't think they disappointed, man. I thought that was an amazing concert. It was about 35, 40 minutes long. Uh, kicked off really good. I really wish it was subtitled like the uh, like the last version was. I'm pretty sure they'll release that at a later date on Nintendo's official YouTube channel. But it was a fun concert, man. They played a lot of awesome songs. And I think everybody... I think the choreography of it was really good. And everybody in the crowd was really amped for it. And I really liked that Nintendo is not mm-hmm. sleeping on Splatoon as a franchise. They are mm-hmm. legitimately trying to keep people involved in this franchise, specifically the Japanese uh, community, which has mm-hmm. truly embraced Splatoon as a game. And they, they love Splatoon in Japan. It like really speaks 
that youth-oriented culture out there. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, I think the same thing could be said for the fan base around the world. I think they're very, like, forward-thinking, like, love to, like, love the styles this game presents. And I, mm-hmm. But that Japanese community really gets involved. Yeah. With it's, the Japanese are by far the biggest, most dedicated fan base for Splatoon, easily. Which says something, because I see a lot of hardcore Splatoon fans here, but the Japanese just take it to a whole new level. And that's always crazy no, to I, see. I agree 100%, man. They're, they're killing it. And, I mean, it makes mm-hmm. sense that that's where they're having those concerts in, you know, Japan at, like, a festival like the Nico Nico event. Yeah, you'll get that. the most turnout and the most positive definitely there. Yeah. And they definitely got a bigger venue than they got for the Squid Sisters concert. Mm-hmm. Like, they, it accommodated a lot yes. more people. And it was just badass to see all those glow sticks going mm-hmm. up and down in unison. It was a really now, fun concert. I, I have not seen the, the Off the Hook. I did see the Squid Sisters. Uh, I should probably go back and check Off the Hook. But um, I'm, I'm assuming it's just going to be the same for the most part. Like, the same idea, same concept as the original um, Squid Sisters. But I am glad to see that it's continuing tradition. I'm very glad to see that it's it's even be, I don't say be embraced more, but Nintendo's made more um, effort into it this time. You said bigger venue um, and pulled out all the stops, you know, so that's really great to see as well. Um, yeah, I don't know if that's just the process, you know, a byproduct of Nico Nico's festival being larger every year. It could be, but the mm-hmm. venue was a lot bigger, accommodated way more people, and the concert itself was really great. Like, mm-hmm. they took those, uh, that holographic technology that they use for, like, Hatsune Miku mm-hmm. and uh, the Squid Sisters before. And I didn't really see any definitive improvements. Uh, I would say that it was pretty on point. But to be fair, the holograms for Callie and Marie looked better than the in-game product. So mm-hmm. it was already, like, a, a better-looking version of the characters. And I think that Pearl and Marina looked really fantastic on stage. They even had Marina with her turntables. Which was legitimate, because they, like, did holographic turntables. I was like, no, they didn't. No, they didn't. And she was scratching and shit. I was like, damn. Okay. Anybody who doesn't like Off the Hook better than the Squid Sisters, watch this concert, because it was badass. And then they capped it all off with, uh, the end of the concert was great, because you have all four pop idols on stage together doing the, uh, they were doing that song that they do whenever there's one minute left on the clock in a oh. race match. <laughs> but it was all four of them, and, you know, mm-hmm. obviously they... So, Kelly and Marie, yeah. Mm-hmm. And Marina Pro. It was, it was great, though, because, like, what I liked about it was that, like, each band is different. from Like, yes. they have their own sounds, but they mm-hmm. were able to incorporate their, you know, all of that into this. Mm-hmm. So, when Kelly and Marie are singing it, they sound like Kelly and Marie, and when Marina Pro is singing it, it sounds like them. And it's just the smorgasbord of these four pop idols on stage yeah. together, just doing their thing. It's like, wow, this is this is great, and it's only a matter of time before a concert like this comes stateside, mm-hmm. uh, especially with you know Nintendo's like working and dealings with Universal. Like, mm-hmm. I true, can, very it, true. It makes sense now that you know they're building a theme park to bring that concert to a you know the one of the uh, one of the Universal Studios venues, mm-hmm. uh, the one here in Florida, which I go to you know very frequently because I love Universal Studios. There's a mm-hmm. big stage there. All they would need to do is transport you know that uh 
that, that projection deck that they use, mm-hmm. put it there, put it on the stage, and just have this super fun, badass concert for for everyone. And I don't think it would be that big of a deal like to get it stateside. I think it's definitely something that they should look look more into because it's it's a priority for the Japanese market. And if you really want to promote Splatoon, you know, like you promote Mario and Zelda and Donkey Kong, this is the best way to do it. You have mm-hmm. these four pop idols that transcend the games that they mm-hmm. that they originate from. Not a lot of video game characters are this transcendent, no. uh, transcendent this fast. They're not. Like, Mario and Link, I mean, they've had the benefit of 30-plus years of building their brand. The same applies yeah. for Donkey Kong, Pac-Man. Any video game character that is iconic like that. But Callie, Marie, Marine, and Pearl could also do that. They are like the perfect uh, avatars to, to just put out into the world and become and have those characters resonate with the game outside of the game. And it's, it's almost kind of funny to think that they're not the main characters of Splatoon, but they're the only characters that aren't generic in a sense every other inkling or, or animal that's not like owning a shop is just an inkling that's the player character they're not as stand out as as you know, Callie, marie marina and pearl um and so having an npc as that character that's resonated you know you have mario you play as mario you have link you play as link pac-man you play as pac-man you play as an inkling and these are npc story characters and, and they're the ones that resonate which i think is super cool as well no, um, I agree. They're the only characters mm-hmm. in the game with their own legitimate personalities. Uh, you spend mm-hmm. more time with them than you do some of the, the shopkeepers. You, you turn your game on, there they are talking to you. Mm-hmm. Giving uh, you the news updates, yeah. Exactly. I mean, and when the Splatfest rolls around, they're oh, the... Commentary, you pick the sides, yeah. Exactly, yeah. You, you're representing one of those characters when you play mm-hmm. in the Splatfest. There's, there's a whole lot going on with those four characters when you start those games. Mm-hmm. And going back a bit, um, sorry, I had to talk about the resonation, but back to the concerts, you know, it's going to be crazy to think that maybe one day we'll see we'll see concerts that not only are stateside, but they'll be entire just Nintendo character concerts. You know, you'll have Pauline on stage with Mario singing Jump Up Superstar, Callie Marie as like the opening acts. Um, and, and you can have like a whole cast of just holographic Nintendo characters putting on concerts. It's just like a third set of pop idols eventually with Splatoon 3, maybe. Like, you can probably get away with that. Uh huh, yeah. The, the popularity that Pauline recently picked up off of Super mm-hmm. Mario Odyssey, you can totally get away with like a whole, you know, Nintendo pop idol concert right mm-hmm. now. And that would probably fit even better back into going back to Universal Studios, you know? Why just have a Splatoon concert? We could have a Nintendo concert, you know? Like, Nintendo produces a lot of great music. There's orchestra showings for Legend of Zelda, Fire Emblem, because um, they produce a lot of great music over at Nintendo as well. And it's definitely well, one of those I recently, suits. just uh, last summer, I went to uh, the Pokemon Symphonic Evolutions. Mm-hmm. Yes, Pokemon does it well. I mean, yeah. video game music is is popular everywhere. I mean, last weekend, you know, the Final Fantasy concert was here in Tampa. Like, video game music is popular. I think Nintendo has been a little slow to capitalize on it mm-hmm. uh, in the worldwide market. I know in Japan, I video game so music sells. In Japan, they don't have to worry about that. They, mm-hmm. they actually have a deal with Tower Records to release, like, mm-hmm. official Splatoon soundtracks and merchandise and vinyls. 
Like, it's mm. crazy, like, how much support Splatoon gets in Japan uh, that we are not seeing here. I know mm. it's the most successful market there, yes. but if you promote the game here like you promote the game there, the, the crossover appeal, the game has the crossover appeal. I mean, mm. it's already sold, like, like gangbusters here in the States. It, it mm. did over a million copies. I mean, yes. that's a lot for any game, period. So, mm-hmm. I mean, you can, and with, you know, what we're going to talk about this later, with 14.8 million units, you know, sold worldwide, this is one of those games that's an evergreen title. You could definitely, mm-hmm. you know, keep getting support for this. Like, it's just like Mario Kart and Smash. Those games will continue to sell with consoles for as long as those consoles exist. Uh, yes, as well as, um, you're, you're going to... I've lost my thought. I'm sorry. I completely I had it and lost it. But I mean, <laughs> jumping back off, moving trans- completely off. Um, we're still in Splatoon, but there was some off the hook amiibo announced, right? Yep. Just this, just this morning, actually. Mm-hmm. This yes. morning, I woke up, checked my Twitter feed, mm-hmm. and I'm like, "What's happening in the world today?" I'm a little tired. Stayed up a little late mm-hmm. last night. Woke up. I'm like, "Oh snap!" Mm-hmm. Yes. First thing that I saw when I woke up, uh, besides my, my beautiful girlfriend. This was uh, the I first thing I saw as well. Mm-hmm. I saw those, and I was like, holy crap. Now, my fiance is a huge Splatoon fan. Huge. Mm-hmm. So when she saw those, she's like, we're getting those, right? I was like, yeah, we're getting those. What are you talking about? Of course. Don't ask silly questions. They're awesome. Uh, they look like very the, nice. Yeah, unfortunately, the, Nintendo's playing that game. Again, where they don't tell us what the amiibo functionality is. Mm-hmm. I'm going to assume that it's pretty identical to what Callie and Marie did in Splatoon 1. Yes. Where they play the Splatfest music and they do the individual songs. Uh, which I like that a lot. Especially mm-hmm. when Splatfest had uh, run its course in the original Splatoon. When Splatfest was done mm-hmm. for good. Uh, if you wanted to like light up your plaza in Splatfest colors. Mm-hmm. All you had to do was scan your, you know, Callie and Marie Amiibo, and they were on the stages performing, and I'm like, that was the one thing that was sad. After, I, I know Splatfest is not supposed to be a permanent thing, but I actually really like the way the venue looks, the lobby looks yes. yeah, during I'll agree. Splatfest, and even the stages, that's the one thing I wish would carry over with the Amiibo functionality, is that you could play, uh... In the in the light in the lighting that you get during Splatfest, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. I know that would probably be it's to render, so that's yeah, why probably. they don't do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I am kind of hoping, and and I know this is this is a long shot, but I'm hoping that uh, we see uh, these amiibo unlock the Shifty Station for local play. I was gonna so like say, if, yeah, if you're playing locally with a group of people, you scan that amiibo and Shifty Station unlocks, because I mm. really enjoy Shifty Station, and I know it's different every time. Yeah, but, but you can get multiple configurations in through the amiibo, it's just going to be different every exactly. time you play. Like, I, um, I would love that. Outside of that, yes. the amiibo themselves look really, really good. Mm. Uh, I thought the Callie and Marie were the best amiibos for Splatoon uh, to date. Mm. These look just as good. Uh, yes. I love the, mm. the ink the ink splashing up, just uh, very awesome. I'm gonna mm. take a look at these. I don't like how it is on pearls though. Pearls, because her feet are standing in in the ink, and it doesn't look like she does some 
support for her feet, and that's been bugging me about that, though. Yeah, it's because mm. she's got that, like, bow-legged stance. Uh, yeah. Like, she has in the game. But yeah. I really do like these. Man. Like, I, I love the detail on uh, Marina's tentacles. It's got, like, the mm -hmm. suction. The suction yeah. on mm -hmm. It's also the first Doctarian um, amiibo we've had so far. That's very true, very true. I didn't even think mm -hmm. about that. Yeah, I, I think these look fantastic, man. Like, mm -hmm. And I love, just like Callie and Marie, they've got, like, the splashes of ink. Mm -hmm. Like I'm like, love it. These yeah. are gonna go great. If you have all the other Splatoon amiibo, and I have every single one, if you mm -hmm. have all of these, you know, on your display shelf, you've got an awesome, awesome set of, of amiibo. Uh, so mm -hmm. this is gonna be released as a two pack here in the states. Uh, it's gonna retail at twenty four ninety nine, mm -hmm. same price as the Callie and Marie. Uh, I don't think we got those as individuals here. I think they only no, released them as a two pack. So. Of the regions got them individually. Um, mm -hmm. I don't think it's that big of a deal. I, I mean, if you're go if you're gonna buy them both anyway, you're saving saving yeah. a couple bucks on the back end. So, really like these amiibo. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And going back to the functionality, I think we also will get the the ability to take pictures, the ability to um um store gear and whatnot as well. That's pretty be another feature as well as I think those Splatfest music and, and settings will be there. Oh, you'll probably have the ability to take the uh, squid selfies again, like you do mm -hmm. with the Cali Marie. Yes. Wish they actually unlock their own story mode. That oh, would be that cool. would be cool. That w but that's, that's unlocking content behind an amiibo wall, which they tried to ditch. They, they are very against that now, I believe, as the transition to two. Because, like, even though it wasn't much of a barrier in the first game to get, like, the, the hero rollers and whatnot, you know, it still kind of was, like, in order to get it, you did have to get the amiibo, which a lot of people complained about. Still, um, I mean, there but, was... If you had the amiibo for the first mm -hmm. game, like, you actually basically unlocked, like, an additional four hours of gameplay yeah. as far as the single-player is concerned, which I appreciated... Mm -hmm. And I was kind of sad that that didn't come back in Splatoon 2. I would like to see some of these Amiibo have some content. Like, yeah. Like, mm -hmm. like I, know, I know a lot of people get mad, paywalls. Mm -hmm. this, is, this is like a physical loot box. You've been paying for loot boxes for years. Like, yeah. let's, let's be honest, people. We've been paying for loot boxes for years. Uh, it's not going to change just because yeah. we changed the appearance of a loot box. And yeah. And as an, um, you don't have to get it if you don't want. And as an amiibo collector, it's it's frustrating to me in the sense to not see them do more content with the amiibos, but they can't put more content because it's considered a paywall and it's a very chicken egg problem. And so owning an amiibo, um, it ends up being kind of hurtful to me spending money on them because they can't put more content because people get hurt if they don't buy the amiibos, and it's it's a very chicken egg problem, and I. Not sure how I feel about that, but as an amiibo collector, I, I'm going to keep collecting. I'm definitely keeping these on my shelf. You know, I'm. Do I have? I think I'm only missing Inkling Girl from the first set for some weird reason. She's the only one I'm missing right now. Um, I, I have all the rest. All the Splatoon amiibos. I bought the packs for, so I got mm. the three packs for every one of them. Uh, I even bought the the color variants because mm -hmm. it came with a brown squid boy. Yeah. I was like. That's Puerto Rican Squid Boy. Yeah. Uh, all right. So moving on, Nintendo recently had their uh, their investors meeting a couple weeks ago. Mm -hmm. Some cool news came out of that. It was almost like a 
mini direct in itself the way it was like a Twitter direct. Uh, like Nintendo yeah. was just feeding us information via Twitter. Uh, mm -hmm. I think some of the biggest news to come out of that was that the Nintendo Switch sold 14.8 14 million, million units in nine months, basically surpassing the Wii U's five-year lifespan. Yeah. So it took the Wii U five years to sell something like 13.7 million Wii U's. In less than a year, the Switch has blown that out of the water. Yeah, that's just fantastic news. Like, mm -hmm. it, it goes to show that people were craving something different, uh, mm -hmm. not just from Nintendo, but from console makers in general. Uh, mm -hmm. They want, like, they needed, they wanted, and needed a new experience, and the Switch does that for them. Now, I don't think it hurts the fact that Nintendo has always been able to make a damn good handheld. Even the 3DS, which got off to a slow start, is a fantastic handheld for its time. Now, it's mm -hmm. a little dated because it's like seven years old, but the 3DS is a really... For, for when it came out, it was a very mm -hmm. powerful handheld with the ability to output, you know, 3D without glasses. Mm -hmm. Like Now, granted, we don't use the 3D in most games anymore. Like, newer yeah. games tend to shy away from the 3D and use that extra... Uh, that extra power just for processing and mm -hmm. making the games look better. Yes. That being said, though, I do love me a 3D game. But yes, yeah. the 3DS was powerful at the time, especially for a handheld. And now we're in this era where Nintendo has figured out a way to take a handheld and make it a console. So mm -hmm. it was a safe bet for Nintendo. Like I've heard a lot of people saying like this was a risk to combine your console and your handheld platform, and I'm like, no, false, not true. It's the safest play they could have made. It is exactly that. Nintendo's portables have sold like gangbusters mm -hmm. always. Going back to the Game Boy, the Game Boy mm -hmm. Advance, the Game Boy Color, the Game Boy, the the DS, their handheld, the 3DS, their handhelds have never had a problem selling See, units. It's, it's. I think the worst handheld they've ever made was the 3ds and that's still um, a great selling console it just got a slow start and, and that's probably their worst selling one am i am i wrong like the 3ds is everywhere but just it's their worst selling i'd assume i think the game Boy advance might actually take that but the game Boy okay. advance has the it has the shortest lifespan of all Fair their enough. handhelds, because right. the Game Boy Advance was released in 2001, it was virtually retired in 2004 after right, the release yeah. of the DS. That so makes it's, sense. Especially when you consider the fact that the Game Boy's lifespan was from literally 1989 mm -hmm. till 2003, 4, like mm -hmm. that, or, or 2001. That is the 11 years. The Game Boy lived for 11 years. And when it was dying, when people were like, why do I own this still? Why do I still have this? Pokemon came out. Mm -hmm. And completely revitalized the system as a whole. Like, it, it, it's so easy to overlook how successful Nintendo's handhelds are. Especially in the bad years. When, the, when Nintendo's home consoles are faltering, mm -hmm. their handheld consoles are keeping them afloat. During the GameCube era, Game Boy Advance was holding... Nintendo afloat. Mm -hmm. During the Wii U era, the 3DS kept Nintendo's necks above water. 
and all that Wii, all the money they made from the Wii before it. Mm-hmm. Like, so for them to take this handheld concept and say, it's a console, but it's a handheld at the same time, safest route Nintendo could have could have taken. Because well, a Nintendo handheld always does well, so you're essentially guaranteeing that your home console will do well. It's, exactly. It's, doesn't, there's no loss. Well, and, and then there's the fact that uh, the majority of people, according to a, an official Nintendo survey, actually play the Switch handheld. Mostly handheld, yes. Mostly Which handheld. just goes to show that there's a reason why it's handheld. They knew that they wanted... People love handheld mobile Nintendo. And that's... Their strong suit is mobile mobile systems. Yeah, and they, they're doing a good job. Uh, now, they're... I do have a couple of criticisms with the Switch as a whole. Even mm-hmm. though it is a handheld, I would say that the majority of the games that actually come out for the system don't actually make for great handheld experiences, but they do make for good portable experiences. Yes. Like, like uh, if you watch the newest episode of Wild Odyssey, I talk about how Mario Odyssey is virtually unplayable as a handheld game. But I make the point that as a portable game, it's fantastic because if mm-hmm. you if you have an opportunity to plop it into tabletop mode and take the Joy-Cons out and use the Joy-Cons mm-hmm. individually, it's a one-for-one experience as what you could mm-hmm. have if you were sitting on the couch and playing with the Joy-Cons yes. the way Nintendo recommends that you play Mario Odyssey. Like, mm-hmm. they really want you to play Mario Odyssey with the detached Joy-Con. Joy-Cons. Mm-hmm. So, do. when you're playing that game in, a, in tabletop mode portably, you're not losing anything in the experience. It's only when the Joy-Cons are attached to the console that you lose that experience. Now, that being said, I think we can we can take this away from Nintendo. We can stop saying that they make the best handheld consoles and not say they make the best portable console uh, because to, to, to call the Switch a handheld console sort of downplays it. It is a portable console. That makes sense. I'll agree because it's... My favorite way to think of it is, you know, RPGs are experiences that you want to immerse yourself in, play for long periods of time, um, but then being tethered to a TV in your living room doesn't help RPGs. RPGs benefit from being able to be portable. Um, and so you can have a grand experience on your TV playing Skyrim, but, you know, you gotta go do the, go take the kids to the soccer game or whatever. You can take your Switch with you and play a bit of Skyrim while watching their soccer game or whatever, and it's fine, because you're not losing that much time. You can keep the experience going. It doesn't matter at all that you were once tethered to the TV, and that experience doesn't have to end or doesn't have to die. Now you gotta take the kids to the soccer game. And that's great, because RPGs definitely need that experience. It's it's fantastic. Mm -hmm. It just really goes to show... The, the difference between the portable, because the portable, you know, it's just extending that experience on the go, whereas mobile, you know, it's it's mobile. It, it's You fit it in your pocket, you just play it entirely, you know, on the subway or, or at your desk behind the school, I don't know, under your desk at class, that's what I'm trying to say here. Um, it's kind of a clear difference, so I'm glad you made that point. All right, so that wasn't the only news that came out of that investors meeting, though. There was... A couple other big pieces of mm-hmm. news, but I think the most important one and the one that we're probably going to dedicate the rest of the time that we're talking about news is Nintendo actually came up with a banger and said that Mario Kart is going to be released on mobile devices. So your iPhones, your Android devices, 
your tablets are all going to have access to a version of a Mario game, and the game is going to be called Mario Kart Tour. A couple of other pieces of information came out uh, a week after the announcement was that the game is going to be free to start. Uh, for those unfamiliar, the free to start model is the same as the model they use for Super Mario Run. They're going to give you a little bit of content at the beginning, and then they're going to lock the rest of the game behind a paywall. Now, I need, I I want to talk about something real quick because when Mario uh, Super Mario Run got announced, the price point they announced it for at was ten dollars. A hundred percent. Before they announced the price point, I said ten dollars would be the price. I was one hundred percent right. I think ten dollars is a fair price for a Nintendo quality handheld uh, or a Nintendo quality mobile game. The problem is, is that mobile consumers are not designed to spend large, and I use air quotes when I say large, amounts of money at once. Mm -hmm. They want to spend a dollar here, a dollar there. Ultimately, they will spend more money by paying a dollar here and a dollar there than they would if you just ask them for the money up front. Uh, it's a very backwards mentality, in my opinion, but that's the way that the mobile space works. Um, so I think Nintendo is going to have to price this game a lot more aggressively than they priced Super Mario Run. Uh, it looks like the cap that most people wanted to pay was $5. I mm-hmm. don't know how expansive this Mario Kart game is going to be, but whatever amount of work they're going to put into it, they have to make sure that that initial entry point does not cost more than $5 because that's the price point that people want to pay. So, yes, you've been calling this a Mario Kart game. Uh, As far as what I've seen, they didn't ever say it was a game. They've called it a mobile app, correct? They've called Fire Emblem a game. They've called Mario Run a game. They called Tomo a mobile app. Which, which leads me to believe that it's not a Mario Kart game. I would like it to be a Mario Kart game, but it, it seems like they've made a clear distinction that it's not a game, it's an app. Um, am I wrong? Or have they... You know, are you fact-checking or no? no? I am fact-checking as of right now. Okay. So. so I believe they've only referred to it as a Mario Kart mobile app. Um, which, which gets me thinking, maybe it's like a management system that you can manage from your Switch on the go. Or, or something, which it's the Switch, so I don't know why, but it's maybe bet on races, like you could, there was betting in Super Smash Bros. for Wii U and 3DS, um, but it seemed weird to me that they called it an app. Um, I, I would love it to be, it also seems weird that an app would have a mobile paywall, um, free to start, as you said, but it, is, it seems weird that they've called it an app, that's the big thing that's bugging me about it, so it could be a management system, um, it could be extra content accessible from your phone, like I said, gambling or something. I don't know. Um, I would like to have some like full game, full Mario Kart game on the on mobile. Because Mario Kart's a huge seller. Um, it's not only a huge seller; it is you know great mobile experience. Look at Mario Kart Seven. Look at DX. It does really well on mobile. Game Boy even DS. You know mm. every article I'm finding has called it a game. But what about the official... I'm going to Nintendo's Twitter right now. I'm going to fact check that. Because I I believe it was referred to as a game by an app by Nintendo. And that, I thought, bugged me. 
just pulling up their app. All right. Okay. It's got a very distinct... There it is. Yes. Okay. All right. So, Mario Kart Tour is... They're calling it official. Okay, so the official tweet was, mm -hmm. the checkered flag has been raised and the finish line is near. A new mobile application is now development. Mario Kart mobile Tour releasing fiscal year of March 2019. So, mm -hmm. basically, they're saying it can come out anywhere between <laughs> April of this year till March of next year. Yeah, uh, but maybe it might have something to do with Mario Kart 9, if that would ever be a thing. Because um, there is an official... It might not be an official... Um, we have 8 Deluxe, which is a port of an existing Mario Kart. There isn't an official Switch version of Mario Kart, which could be something, maybe if it is an application, um, it might tie into Mario Kart 9 being a thing. Maybe the gambling is more of a Mario Kart 9 thing. I don't know. Um, or I'm just hoping that is something... Sort of like a cart customization Maybe, uh, aspect yes. to it. Um, I think they have a lot of opportunities with this. Uh, if it's I think game, so as well. If it's a game, then it has, I, it has to be simple enough you know, to exist on a mobile device. Mm -hmm. They've been going with a one-handed approach for a lot of their mobile games, or exactly. mobile phone games. I mean, I don't mind a two-handed experience, especially mm -hmm. not for a Mario Kart game. Um, no. see the, be the best bet would be for Nintendo to just do what we all want them to do and come out with like a, a phone peripheral of their own mm -hmm. with buttons, uh, yeah. with some actual tactile buttons so that we could actually play. That would be my, my best, mm -hmm. the best thing ever for me. I was like, Hey, we're releasing this uh, little configuration that you attach to the bottom of your phone and you can now play a legitimate Mario Kart game on your phone. That I think be, that'd be nice for a lot of other games. You know, if they made it from just Nintendo-based games, you know, you could play Mario Kart, not Mario Kart, but, like, um, Zelda with buttons, because we've had mentions that there might be a Zelda mobile game. Maybe a Zelda mobile game might use buttons on a peripheral. That might be nice, yeah. Um, Zelda, um, potentially, what else could they have done? Another Mario game, maybe a 3D Mario game this time. Um, but buttons would be nice for, for these things, because I don't like, I don't like the tappies on the touch screens. Oh, uh, don't, here's the problem, though, the second Nintendo comes out with any kind of... Peripheral, uh, yeah. Peripheral, they're gonna get sued. They're gonna get sued. Yeah. You, you stole our idea. All right, yeah. Well, stole, and this is, weren't... this is kind of a iffy territory as well, for that stuff. There's a lot of mobile phone peripherals and controller peripherals. Yeah. Well, if it's a game, there are a couple things that I think Nintendo has, 100% has to have available. First off, learn from the mistake that Niantic made. Mm -hmm, definitely, yes. Mario Kart is all about the community online. that plays it. Yeah. All about mm -hmm. the online. Online needs to be accessible mm -hmm. immediately once you hit that paywall. Once yes. you've made that purchase, there should be an online aspect to the game. Right off the bat, um, the character roster could could it's not as important. You could literally have 10, 15 characters. It's, as long you know, as I get Queen Bee from Galaxy and Wiggler, I am fine. Like you don't have to go all out with the character roster, yeah. especially not on a free to start Mobile. game. Yeah, but I definitely have to see an online component to this game once mm -hmm. the paywall has been broken. Once you've paid, you should be able to race online. Uh, mm -hmm. It would be nice if there was a local, you know, mm -hmm. 
local mode and a worldwide mode. Hey, I'm going to play with the 10 people standing next to me, or I'm going to just play 10 people across the globe. Yeah, definitely. That'd be nice as well. Uh, I, I would be remiss in saying that they need a battle mode. They need Mm -hmm. a functioning battle mode because Mm -hmm. let's be honest, Mario Kart is really all about that battle mode. Uh, and just some interesting courses, man. Like, mm-hmm. of course, get some of your throwback courses. Uh, you know, like Donut um, Plains or um, Mario Yeah, Coconut Mall. Can we get Coconut oh, Mall? Coconut Mall. Oh, yeah, I would love that. Mm-hmm. Get your throw, get your throwback stages in there. Mm-hmm. But also, don't be scared to like add some like legitimately new courses that we've mm-hmm. never seen before. Yeah. So I think those are the things that Nintendo needs to address. If this is a game, if this is an application, well, okay, well, let me go back one step. If it's a game, I would also like to see some functionality with the hypothetical Mario Kart 9. If yes, there is a Mario Kart 9, I would like to see this connect to that in some capacity. Maybe like unlocking carts mm-hmm. in the mobile game could be transferred to the Switch version of the game via your nice. And using your My Nintendo account. You know, log in your My Nintendo account on the app. Obviously, you're logged into your My Nintendo account on the Switch. Any cart you unlock will be transferable to the Switch edition of the Mario Kart 9, uh, hypothetically. Now, if this is an application, I want the same functionality. If I am mm. building and customizing carts in the app, I want those carts playable in Mario Kart 9, the hypothetical Mario Kart 9. Yes. So, um, I would like to see all those things. And I like that you mentioned that, because isn't the Animal Crossing mobile pocket camp supposed to function with a future Animal Crossing game? Am I correct? Uh, yes, there was a, that was like a little bit of like leaked information saying that mm-hmm. it would. Uh, Nintendo hasn't officially confirmed that yet, but... Okay. I wasn't it, sure. I just heard that floating around, so I wasn't sure if that was... Yeah. Okay. No, I mean, it, it came from like a... It came from like some kind of like copyright uh, patent uh, for, right. for Animal Crossing, so... Which, you know, most of the time these copyright things... I mean, sometimes Nintendo files copyrights just to secure the copyright or the yeah. patent. Mm-hmm. Other times, they legitimately turn it to something that is viable and accessible to the larger community. Mm-hmm. That being said, though, it is interesting that they chose Mario Kart uh, mm-hmm. as a there's a lot of there's a lot of franchises that have yet to receive love in the mobile space. Yes. Uh, and there's one game that you briefly touched on. Uh, Zelda. That Yes, we haven't talked yes. about it. We know oh. it's coming. It, yes, was mm-hmm. it was confirmed a while ago. Like, we got, what, Mitomo, and then we were told about Mario Run would be a thing, an Animal Crossing game would happen, and a Zelda game would happen in the future. And then Fire Emblem came out of the blue, and then we got Animal Crossing, and we've gotten notice of a Mario Kart, and there's still, that's it, I believe, correct? Yeah, we haven't heard anything about Zelda mm-hmm. uh, in the mobile space, period. I would have to imagine that a Zelda mobile game probably has has some work to do simply yes. because what's our last Zelda experience? Breath of the Breath Wild. Of the Wild. It's got to live Breath up, yeah. Wild. And I almost want to say it should be... to go back. Yeah, I almost want to say that if you're going to make a mobile Zelda, it has to be top-down style, like the older games. Because like, I don't see it working any other way. 100% would appreciate that. Uh, my second favorite Zelda game uh, is a link between worlds. Mm-hmm. That's that's also a top-down Zelda game. I'm hoping that it's something akin to that, something yes. like a link between worlds. 
that game is actually really fantastic. Uh, so I, I, I don't know. I just, I know there's some work to be done, but my concern mm-hmm. is, is like, can we go back to a more yeah. traditional Zelda formula after the experience that Breath of the Wild has brought to us? That is something that's been on my mind. The future of Zelda after this Breath of the Wild is is hard to think about. Now I know that. Uh, what do they do? I know that she said that the main series would, in fact, be open air from this point forward. Yes, yes. But these side games, I I don't think they have to be. But Mm-mm. you also have to make them interesting enough that uh people want to play it. You know what? Yeah. I'd be a hundred percent down for. I would be one hundred percent down. If Nintendo took that tech demo that they had of Breath of the Wild and put that on mobile. You mean the one oh of Breath of the Wild, okay. I thought you yeah. might were gonna say way back in the Wii U, that video they showed like at the demoing of the Wii U. Okay. Uh, like, no, uh, tech I, okay. The tech demo they have that was of like eight bit Zelda or eight bit oh. Link running around and dressed in yes. the blue. Mm-hmm. And literally like them testing out the mechanics of Breath of the Wild to see if they could do these things so they basically said hey we have these 2d zelda assets mm-hmm. which they never said what those assets were originally for yes like in, in my mind i was like oh they were making a zelda game they were going to do like mm-hmm. a, a a mario maker game but with zelda that's what they had those assets for that game never came to fruition mm-hmm. basically they said okay well we're not going to make this game after all we're going to do is we could take these assets and mm-hmm. try to apply the mechanics that we're thinking about I would love to see that tech demo as a mobile game because that would be cool. Yes, because it would be would. it would be Breath of the Wild, but it would be Breath of the Wild like Pocket Edition, which isn't yeah. too. It's not too dissimilar from what uh, Square Enix just did recently with uh, Final Fantasy Fifteen Pocket Edition. Mm-hmm. Totally get away with that. Uh, yes. But yeah, man, Mario Kart Tour. Love this idea. Whatever form mm-hmm. it takes, I just. I have this feeling that Nintendo is just going to make this game, this whatever it is, it's going to be a lot of fun, and I'm I'm excited to see what it is. Unfortunately, we have potentially a long wait. We might be waiting a whole mm. year before we actually see this. Uh, the only thing I don't want to see with this game, I don't want to see Apple exclusivity again. Yes. Mm-hmm. I I don't have any ill will towards Apple iPhones no. or anything like that, but no. I'm an Android user. I'm an Android user. Mm. And it's a, I don't want to wait in the face to Android users. It was a long wait, and not only was it a long wait, but you released Mario Run the same month you released mm-hmm. the Nintendo Switch. Yeah. They were a week apart. They were literally like a week apart. Seven days. Mm-hmm. I was like, "Well, guess which game I'm not playing for a while." <laughs> yeah, because I'm going to be mm-hmm. playing Breath of the Wild. All right. No, but that's it. That is the news. So we had a lot of awesome news. Uh, just to recap. We talked about the Off the Hook concert, the Off the Hook Amiibos. We talked about the Mario Kart tour and the rest of the Nintendo investors meeting in which they gave us the fact that Nintendo sold 14.8 million Nintendo Switches in nine months. And that number Um, is only going to get bigger. Now, I'm just going to mention these two other news um, that were... So there's my Nintendo accounts. um, You'll be able to get software from... um, for the Switch soon, I believe it said March, and that was that was a thing that was confirmed as well as Labo is a thing um, that has been revealed. It's it's looking interesting. I like the cardboard idea, but we're not going to say any more on that. Correct? We're, we're out of time uh, for news. No, let's let's briefly talk about Labo just for like let's give it like right, five yeah. minutes. All right, sure thing. Uh, Labo, Labo is I have I okay I am of a certain amount on Labo. 
I think that level is a fantastic idea. I mm-hmm. think it's brilliant. Uh, like it's it it teaches children flight engineering. Mm-hmm. It, it's got this great aspect of like work and play attached to it. Mm-hmm. And I think that Labo is a great educational tool. When, okay, so when I was in when I was in middle school and in high school, I had this class mm-hmm. called Tech Ed. Uh, which basically taught me to how engineering worked. So I built, mm-hmm. I built bridges out of balsa wood, or mm-hmm. I learned how to build the space station, you know, and like what systems needed to be where mm-hmm. in order for people to go up into space and live on a space station. I learned all mm-hmm. this cool stuff. And there was this inter aspect aspect of that interactive aspect of that class that mm-hmm. really expanded my mind. Like, I was building, I was building, and I was learning while I was building, mm-hmm. but I was also having a really good time. Yes. Lavo works in very much the same way, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And you, you could literally take Nintendo Switches, put them in a classroom, and teach mm-hmm. little, little aspects of engineering and programming, because mm-hmm. there's a programming aspect to Labo. And... You can use it as an educational tool. And I ultimately think that's what Nintendo's goal is. Mm-hmm. They want to find a way to enter the edutainment market uh, with this. And I think it's a really good idea. The cardboard aspect mm-hmm. is nice. I don't even think the price point is, is ridiculous. I think the price point is actually fair, uh, considering mm-hmm. that it's, it's software included yes. uh, with the packages. And there are so many cool things that you can build with it. This is a great concept. Is it for mm-hmm. me? No, because I'm an adult man in my 30s. This is not for me. Would I give this to my niece? Yeah, I definitely would. I would let I would buy this as a present for my niece and build it with her or have, you know, my brother and her build it together and just watch her mind expand because that's what this is. This is something mm-hmm. that will help a child's mind expand and they're going to learn, you know, they're going to learn how to follow instructions they're going to learn patience because apparently some of these things could take a couple hours to build. Mm-hmm. Uh, the robot backpack supposedly takes two hours to build. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely an edutainment toy. And mm-hmm. I use the word toy because that's what this is. It's a toy. It's a mm-hmm. toy that uses your Nintendo Switch, but it's, it's a brilliant concept. I love this idea. And I don't like the fact that I've heard a lot of like complaints about it. Like this isn't for me. No, not everything mm-hmm. is for you. That. Yeah, they don't have that to cater specifically to you. Exactly, like like that sense of entitlement where everything has to be for everyone. Mm-hmm. I'm not a huge fan of that. Like some things are just for some people. Yeah, and this is definitely for somebody who is really you know, like young at heart. Like let's say you're an adult, but you love Legos. And yeah, this is probably mm-hmm. something for you. That and there's nothing wrong with that, being mm-hmm. an adult who loves. It. I'm an adult who collects Mario. Mm-hmm. So there's. There's always this aspect of us, like this childhood aspect of us, that we don't and shouldn't kill. Yes. And if if this is something like that for you, 100% do it. Is this something like that for me? No, because I have other outlets to create, you know, express my creativity, uh, such as this podcast and, Mm. you know, other, you know, musical venue, you know, uh, musical things that I do. I have other aspects in which to express my creativity. But... Hey, if this is something that will expand your creativity, then yeah, this is definitely for you, and this is definitely for children. So 
I think people need to get off that this isn't for me because, yeah, it's not for you. It's it's for everyone else that's not you. Yeah, and, and I I want to touch on something else and go back to that, is that you can color and put stickers on your Labo cardboard projects, and that's awesome because, you know, I could, I could be, you know, putting polka dots on my on my fishing pole or my keyboard, and then my friend at school, you know, he, he walks in the playground with his keyboard in, in stripes instead of polka dots, and I'm like, whoa, I never wanted to do stripes, I only did polka dots. And his his Labo pro- cardboard products are not the same as mine. You can customize them. You can, you can redo them. That's really cool. You can, I'm not, there's going to be a lot of people who are not sure to take this too far and, like, completely blow up all cardboard and just, like, make it cra- super crazy. You know what's going to happen. People are going to get cardboard and cardboard cardboard, make super fishing poles that do crazy things. They're going to mod the heck out of this, which I love. Um, there's going to be super great art that's going to be drawn on Labo. Um, but then also, it's the thing. I, I'm I'm an adult. I do am I am more of a kid at heart. I would say I am younger, so I can get away with it. But I think you're never too old to learn. And I and as myself, I know that I'm not someone who learned a lot of engineering in, in most of my school. And I'm in college right now. I'm not going into a lot of engineering classes. I don't think I'm taking a single one of course in my major. And, and I'm not learning any engineering, but I am more than happy to learn a little bit, to learn how things work, how things are made, how things are built. Um, and, and if I can play Labo, have a fun time learning just a little bit of engineering here and there, you know, I think, I think it'd be a lot of fun to, for me to get Labo. I, I, I will definitely give it a try um, if I can scratch up the money. I don't think the price point is too high either. I think, you know, you're getting a lot of stuff in the multi-pack with a lot of creations. And the robot looks like it's almost a full-fledged game that you just build a robot suit for, um, from what we've seen of it. So I'm, I'm not, ha- disapp- not disappointed. I'm not upset about the price point. I, I think it's a fair price point as well. Um, you know what I would really like to see I, with Labo? I would like to see other internal Nintendo development teams come up with their own uh, Labo projects. Like, I would like to see maybe, like, the Pokemon company mm-hmm. doing something with Labo where, like, you build, like, a cardboard Pikachu. Oh, no, no. Hear me out here. Hear me out here. You're gonna, you know, like, there's fishing in Pokemon. You can just fish with the fishing pole in Pokemon. You have the Labo accessory. You can fish in Pokemon with that cardboard fishing pole. (laughs) It would be really interesting to see what they choose to do with Labo as a whole. I Mm-hmm. I think it's a like I said. I think it's a fantastic concept. Uh, One thing that I think I think it really this is like their new amiibo, uh, mm-hmm. but with like the same way that amiibo appeals to collectors mm-hmm. and you know you know children and the young at heart. Labo has the same, and it costs Nintendo a hell of a lot less. What's the production mm-hmm. cost on cardboard? It, it's got to be really low. Mm-hmm. Yes, and, and you know. Speaking of just like other people creating things for Labo, I think it'd be very nice if we got a creator tool of some kind for Labo, where where you know I'm running a classroom that we're going to be instructing with Nintendo Labo, but I need to make my own customized Labo game or Labo app or something to to showcase what I really need. Um, I might there is a function of Labo that does have like like a like a free mode where you can like create your own yeah programs and whatnot. Mm -hmm. I don't know. That applies to the builder aspect mm-hmm. of Labo, but there is definitely, uh, and I've heard this confirmed from multiple sources, there is definitely a programming aspect to Labo in which you program your own uh, inventions. 
well, not just the inventions, but like, um, you know, I'm sure Nintendo's preloaded the software with specific things, but maybe none of it relates to what I'm teaching in my classroom as a teacher, let's say. And I want to, I, I'm able to create my own Labo game, but there's no way for Nintendo to really publish a game I made. But a way, if I could, you know, get my Labo game onto the Switch without having to, to you know, mod my Labos or jailbreak them in some fashion, hack them, find the root kernel, whatever, you know, I, I don't want to put up with that time and patience for classrooms worth of Labo. I just want to pop my game cartridge in and have my students learn with their cardboard. <laughs> and, and so I feel like that should be something that somehow finds its way in, in a somewhat accessible fashion other than modding and, and going through um, hacking the Switch. I don't think that should be a thing for this education. Um, what do you call it? Um, edutainment? Yeah, edutainment. edutainment. Yes. I think it should be much more accessible to anyone who wants to teach with Labo. That's um, true. Uh, the only, I think the only thing that I have... I, I'm a little concerned about how Nintendo's positioning Labo. I think that's the real issue I have. Uh, Nintendo's had this like habit of releasing tidbits of information via Twitter. Mm-hmm. I I would have liked to have seen this incorporated into the larger Nintendo Direct. Yes. Um, just because I think had they done it in the Direct, the backlash that Labo received mm-hmm. might have been minimized. Yes, uh, I think fact, so as well. Was, uh, shown off standalone. Mm-hmm. I think I think that's where a lot of the skepticism came from, uh, mm-hmm. because people's memories are really short. Mm-hmm. Because again, we ha- like I was saying earlier, it was like this is the this is not for me mentality. Well, a week ago they had a direct that was geared specifically at you. Mm-hmm. So had they done it as one larger, you know, as they could have ended the direct. I would have preferred them to end the direct on Labo than mm-hmm. on the Dark Souls like yes. weird weird teaser. And the and I, I almost like oh, that whole after post direct portion of that month was was weird. It felt like Nintendo's just not coordinating anything. Like, okay, so we've just finished the direct, but now we are ready to reveal that we have Detective Pikachu now. So we're just gonna make a little Twitter post about that because that we forgot to do Detective Pikachu. We weren't, we didn't think that was ready. We weren't coordinating properly, but now we Detective Pikachu's ready. I and then all of a sudden, you know, why? because the whole direct was really switch. switch focused. Yeah. But but, but the Labo, but Labo is for Switch. And that's mm-hmm. why I found the Labo announcement to be just the timing was was mm-hmm. wrong. I, I, I just felt like they forgot things or things weren't ready and then as soon as they were ready they put them on Twitter or something. It felt weird that they've miscoordinated a lot of stuff. And I understand the three Detective Pikachu as well. But I think we had the discussion already where it's um they mentioned a, I don't remember what it was, but some kind of demo you could play. I think it was Kirby demo for 3DS. And it's like that plug felt super weird. Um, and I didn't like that. It, it felt like you could at least then clump in Detective Pikachu with that. I don't know. Well, it but, might just be something to do with how the Pokemon company chooses to market their games. Most uh, likely. Because technically, as much, for as much as Nintendo owns Pokemon, mm-hmm. the Pokemon company owns an equal portion to that. Well, Nintendo is the Pokemon Company. It's just Game Freak and Creatures and Nintendo own all of Pokemon Company as its own entity as well. It's weird. But, all right. Um, but that should be it for, for the news, correct? Power yeah. News is yep. now done. Mm-hmm. So, I want to bring back this segment because it's been a little while mm-hmm. since we had this segment. It's very brief. 
what are we playing? That's right, it's the long return of this, and man, I, what haven't I been playing? Uh, so I've recently got very back into Splatoon. Uh, mm -hmm. I took about, I took, I took about two months off, uh, mm -hmm. but I've gotten back into Splatoon again, and I like, I like the fact that Arowanamal is back. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm still enjoying Clan Blitz. Uh, some of the newer weapons that are coming out, like the GooTuber is back out, like 50 different versions of the, of the Rapid Blaster are out. There's a, there's a whole lot of new content in Splatoon, uh, mm -hmm. and we just got a Splatfest announced, so really yes, happy to be money and love, I believe, correct? Yeah, I'm going I'm to have to go with money on this one because uh, love don't pay the bills. I mean, fair enough. But but money money will win because a lot of people are picking money. Money will win. It's gonna be very very bad social commentary. <laughs> That's my only fear. <laughs> oh so, yeah. Uh, Arms had an update too. I've yes. been playing a little bit of Arms. Uh, we got the new badges, uh, mm -hmm. tournament mode, mm -hmm. uh, the gallery. A lot of cool new features for mm -hmm. Arms. Uh, yes. But I think the game that consumed the majority of my time uh, throughout the months of December and January was Xenoblade. Mm -hmm. Spent about 113 hours playing Xenoblade before I completed it. Uh, mm -hmm. I did have this mishap where I accidentally lost 11 hours of the game. Oh. Because the damn oh, game doesn't autosave unless, mm -hmm. unless you resonate with a core. Yeah. Uh, so I, and I was the only Jeez. reason the only reason I didn't take the game to GameStop after that incident was the fact that I had severe insomnia for about a okay. week and a half. Uh -huh. So because I could not sleep You just need something to do. I yeah, I was like, I can't sleep. And it was bad, like I'm talking like severe insomnia where I didn't sleep for a week and a half. So I was like Jeez. If it wasn't for this insomnia, this game would be traded in. And Look, I, I, I don't hate the game. I love mm -hmm. the game. I 100% love this game. But this is that, frustrating progress exactly, loss, though. When you lose 11 hours much, of progress. Exactly. In an RPG. Uh -huh. In an RPG where you have to rewatch cutscenes yeah. that you've already seen. Mm -hmm. And Xenoblade has like some 20 to 30 minute cutscenes. It's, it's not fun, no. Yeah. I, I was having Metal Gear Solid flashbacks. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh god. But, this game. This game. But yeah, the severe insomnia. So I've been playing that and uh, Pokemon Gold. I've been playing a lot of Pokemon Gold hmm. lately on uh, that I downloaded from the eShop. Yeah, that's pretty much been it. Just had a lot of you know me time while you know while we we're on vacation. So played a lot of games. Mm -hmm. um, so Arms is always a thing. I'm always playing um, Arms. I've, I'm not sure if I mentioned it here on the podcast, but Arms is. My favorite experience on the Switch, I, I love ARMS. I spend way too much time on ARMS. Um, so I've been consistently always playing ARMS. Um, but as of, I guess it's been two nights now. I've lost track since I've been playing it a lot. But I started streaming um, Dragon Quest Builders, which came out the Friday of whenever we're recording this. Um, I picked it up, played it on stream for three hours. Did not want to stop playing despite being on stream for three hours. So I, like, I created a new save. And I'm probably like, 20 hours in said new save in my own town is like I, I'm scared to go back to my stream save because like everything in the stream is just made of dirt 
in, in garbage buildings, and I like every remodeled everything. And it's like it's so nice now. Why would I go back? <laughs> um, so I've I've spent Dragon Quest Builders is great. It's way more fun than I even thought it would be. I love it. Um, so a lot of arms, a lot of Dragon Quest. Um, I've been playing a decent bit of Mario Kart as well. Uh, I did a test stream before Dragon Quest Builders. Um, for Mario Kart, but I've been playing Mario Kart just, like, with friends. A lot more of my friends have been getting into it again. So I've been playing a lot more Mario Kart with friends. Um, so Mario Kart Arms and Dragon Quest Builders, I guess, um, have, have been what I've been playing. Yeah. Alright, so, definitely got a full roster of games that we've been playing. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to bring this section back, because it's something, yeah. you know, I always, I, it's always cool to let people know, mm -hmm. like, what's on my console, you know, virtually, yes. constantly. I've been doing a lot of that. Mm -hmm. uh, but guys, what we're going to do now is we're going to move into a fun little game that I cooked up. So, mm -hmm. let's go ahead and slide into that. So, in 2016 and 2017, Nintendo released the NES Classic and the Super NES Classic Editions, respectively. And that has led us to believe that in 2018... Nintendo will continue to ride the nostalgia train and release the N64 Classic Edition. Today, we have brought with us a list of 15 N64 titles that we believe should be in Nintendo's 64-bit mini console. Mm -hmm. What we're going to do is we're going to read off our list, right? And mm -hmm. if any of us have a game that matches the other, that game is automatically included in the list. But you don't just get to say which game you're adding to, you want to add to the system. You mm -hmm. have to give a legitimate reason why. So... Mm -hmm. That, with that being said, Brennan, hit me up with your first of your 15. Um, they're not in order. Well, can I, I have an order that's kind of hi hierarchical, but not really. Um, I actually go pretty much mostly, it's kind of at the bottom, not really. Um, Animal Crossing, yeah, that's what I made. Animal Crossing, um, which was only released in Japan on the N64. But there was an N64 version of Animal Crossing. And my biggest reason for having Animal Crossing... It's only because it was a mixed, missed experience on the N64 to a lot of people who weren't importing the Japanese version that they mostly couldn't understand. Um, it's because, like, a lot of my past experiences with friends and whatnot in, in having all the NES Mini and the Super NES Mini, as they sort of played all the games, and then they just sold it to a friend or something. And they just played it and were done. Animal Crossing is one of those games where it's like, you don't just beat... <laughs> you don't beat Animal Crossing just done with it. No, it doesn't happen. You spend months and weeks and years and your life in Animal Crossing, so it gives more like, longevity, I feel, to the N64 Mini, should it be a thing. Um, it is going to be a bit of tiresome and annoying for them to localize an old Animal Crossing for a mini system, um, but I feel like it would be a great addition to have Animal Crossing um, on, on this, because it adds the longevity of the system, definitely, in my opinion. Alright, not a bad game. Uh, I was going to say, that was kind of a little cheap because we didn't get that game until the GameCube era. Yes, but, but it was in Japan, and I'm going to make the argument that we never got Star Fox 2. We got Star Fox 2 on the SNES Mini. That's that, so I, that's why I thought it could be a fun thing to put in this. It never saw a release on F64 in the States. You know, why not release it now just for a little bit of fun? Sandler. Yeah, no, that's not a bad. That's okay. I give you. I give you your cheat. I think it's cool. Okay. All okay. right. All right. So, I have one game, mm -hmm. but I think licensing might be an issue. But okay. this is a game I spent hours playing with my friends. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, in high school. So I was in high school. 
but yes. the N64 was in its heyday. So mm-hmm. the game that I have is uh, the first game, WCW versus NWO. So mm-hmm. this is a wrestling game by THQ. Mm-hmm. This is a fantastic game. First off, okay. you had all your little hidden characters. There mm-hmm. were hidden characters like THQ Man, who was like Rey Mysterio, but super OP. It's like if Rey Mysterio was a heavyweight. So he was cool. Uh, you also had my favorite thing ever. You had the 30-man uh, Royal Rumbles, mm-hmm. where up to 30 wrestlers would come out in a ring. And I loved the cheesy animations. I love how you could slide the character under the ring, look under the mat, pull out like a ladder or a steel chair and start bashing people with that. And I love the game even had blood, like fake blood. It looked so corny, uh, but it was, it was a fun game. So I would, you know, get my, my, all my friends and family, we load up all four controllers, uh, plug in our rumble packs and we just wail on each other in these 30 man Royal rumble matches. And they would last an hour because that's how long it was. And it would be so sucky if you got eliminated early on. Mm-hmm. Because then you just have to watch as the rest of the, the people play. But it was so fun. Like, the AI in that game is great. Mm-hmm. Uh, the character models are so bad. But you could tell who was who. Uh, okay. It was always fun to, like, you know, play a sting. And then pull out that coveted baseball bat. And just start wailing on Goldberg or Hulk Hogan. Love that game. It's a cheesy game, and I know licensing would be an issue now, especially since uh, I think who has the 2K has the license for most of the superstars that are that would mm-hmm. be available in that game. But they make they make bad games anyway for for Nintendo products apparently. So mm-hmm. um, let's get this game. I had not heard of that before, but it sounds corny and fun enough. I, I it sounds pretty fun. I'll check it out at some point. Um. But I'm gonna I'm gonna have to cheat again. I'm already cheating again. I know. Um, but I'm gonna go with um Sin and Punishment. Um, the original Sin and Punishment was also not released in the West. I loved Sin and Punishment Star Successor on the Wii. I loved it. It was a great bullet hell shooter. It's super fun. Um, but it was not released in the West until like around the time Sin and Punishment for Star Successor came on Wii. It got a Wii Virtual Console release as well, and I believe it was localized. Um, so I would definitely be down to, to... I never played the original either. I only played Star Successor, despite yeah, being on the Wii. I think got it in the eShop for the Wii, and that was it. And the that eShop was only, channel, thank you. Yeah, they got it. It was the, whatever the eShop was called back in the day, and mm-hmm. it only came out right before the release of the sequel. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would love it if Sin and Punishment got on this, because, you know, it was a missed classic. And even the Wii one was a missed classic, in all honesty, because it was, it was great. I loved it. But, you know, because it's not a mainstream franchise, it's not, it didn't quite do as well. Not many people have heard of Sin and Punishment, but I loved it. Um, but Sin and Punishment would be a great addition to the N64 classic, in my opinion. Alright, I'm going to go a little bit out of left field. And mm-hmm. again, licensing issue with this game. Okay. Perfect. Perfect. I know, I know a lot of Doesn't people Doesn't Microsoft like, have that now? That's why yes. it's a licensing issue, but mm-hmm. that original Perfect Dark from Rare. Now, mm-hmm. I know a lot of people are mad at me because I didn't say GoldenEye. Uh, <laughs> guys, GoldenEye is not the better version of no. this game. Perfect Dark is the better version because you can have up to four players. 
Or you can have AI bots. You can mm -hmm. have some brutal AI bots in this game. The stages are better. The weapons are better. The story mode is definitely not as good, but we didn't come here for a story mode. We came here for some multiplayer mm -hmm. fun. So yeah, bring Perfect Dark back. Let us get Perfect Dark on the N64 Classic Edition because why not? Why not? Microsoft, um, Microsoft no. plays nice already. They let us, they let, you know, we got Minecraft on the Switch. Hmm. Um, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop cheating for a while here. I'm going to go Paper Mario. All right, Must I help. also have Paper Mario All on right. my list. So All right. Paper Mario is our first official game on our N64 Classic Edition. All right, all right. All right, so, now that Paper Mario's out of the way, mm -hmm. my next game, Donkey Kong 64. Yes, that is on my list. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. All right, all right, so we're two for two right now. Yep. So, DK 64. Like, okay, I love DK 64. I love the stupid DK rap at the beginning of the game. Yes. That's just, that's just yes. a show that you're going to have a good, fun time with yeah. that. Yeah, mm-hmm, definitely. Like, okay, I know the graphics weren't great considering what rare was doing you know dk mm -hmm. 64 it's kind of an ugly game but it is a fun game you have loads of collectibles some would say too many but you have loads of collectibles you have a fun story hell if you find the secret bonus uh the secret uh donkey kong original donkey kong uh arcade mode mm -hmm. in that game you are a boss because yeah. that is a fun little tidbit that's in the game. You can actually play the arcade version of Donkey Kong in that game. So props to Rare for doing that. But just props to the game being really fun. Like, it mm -hmm. has a... Even the multiplayer is fun in DK64. Mm -hmm. Like, the multiplayer battle mode. And this is a, this is when every game had a battle mode. But DK64's battle mode, there's something comedic about it that just makes it... It's, like, very Mario Kart-esque. Mm -hmm. But it's... Donkey Kong, man. I love the fact that they have their weapons, like the mm -hmm. Diddy Kong with his little with his little barrel blasters. I'm like, oh, that's yeah. awesome. So yeah, DK sixty four. All right, so we got two on the system already. Mm -hmm. Um, Kirby sixty four. What do you think about that? Yeah, that's a good one. I did not think Crystal Shards was awesome. You had the fusion abilities and combos. That was great, and I'm so glad they're returning in the new Switch version. Um, to an extent, not the same, not the same, but they are fusion abilities in the last, and I love it. So, Kirby 64 was on my list. Alright, so, my next game, mm -hmm. Bomberman 64. Ooh, no, I did not have that, shoot. Bomberman 64 is a classic, it is like, the best version of Bomberman. I um, will agree, I forgot about it, it though. It's even better than the new, it's better than Bomberman R, yeah, a lot. it is, agreed. Uh, but, I mean, yeah, man, it's it's just one of these classic games, like, one of these mm -hmm. few characters who managed to kind of, sir, you know, find a way to exist outside of the arcade. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, mm -hmm. But, he, you know, Bomberman's fun. he's kind of fallen on some hard times, uh, you know, I, I, I wholeheartedly blame Konami for that, but, man... Konami needs to get when Nintendo needs to get on board and get Konami mm -hmm. to drop this on an N sixty four classic edition. All right, yeah. Um, so I, I guess I'm not actually sure if this is cheating or not. Um, but Pokemon Stadium slash Snap, I couldn't really decide because you know Pokemon Snap is is one of those um, what's the word? Just like fun experiences in Pokemon, but I feel like Stadium would be the more traditional experience. 
and because you can't judge Snap like you would a normal Pokemon game, I, I couldn't really decide. So I'm, I'm having both of them. I, I have both of those games on my list. I have but I, are they counted as the same or as one? Because I count them I as one. Them, I have them as individual games. Okay, okay. I just couldn't decide, but okay. So, uh, let us <laughs> let us find a coin. Oh, coin flip. Okay, so heads for flip. what? Yeah, heads for heads, what? Heads, tails heads for what? For Heads for snap. Right, heads for snap. Heads for stadium. All right. That's a big coin. Yes, it's a giant ass penny. That doesn't count as a flip. Okay. Okay. Tails. Tails. So that is is stadium, correct? Stadium. All right. Cool. Pokemon Stadium goes on the list. Okay. All right. So I'm adding Pokemon Stadium. To the official list. Wow! So we've got we've got three games on the list already. Yes. And we are third. We are we are one fifth uh, one fifth of the way through on this list, and we still mm-hmm. haven't had the other two guys vote yet. Yeah, I think I think like my list is I believe seventeen total, but some of them are like kind of you know maybes. Um, so we'll see. But um, I feel like you know we've already established that. Um, Sin and Punishment, Animal Crossing, and Kirby are not on my list. The WWE game is not on my or on your list, and WWE game is not on my list, etc. So we've we've got some some space left over, and I think when they get when they cast their votes, you know, we'll pick up some of the rest that that were missed on both of our lists. Uh, yeah, exactly. All right, so the next game I have on my list mm-hmm. is a game that I actually had to do some reflection on because I'm like. Okay. Is, this, is this the best version of this game? Um, probably not when I think okay. about it, but does it belong on this piece of hardware? Most definitely. So, I'm going to go with Mario Golf. I do not have Mario Golf. I actually, not spoilers to say, but I have like every other Mario Friendship Ender game, but golf. Which golf isn't even out of not for the Friendship Ender actually, because that one's more single player than anything. I'd say nothing like crazy really happened, but I have every other. <laughs> I, what I loved about Mario Golf, and this is you know, we're, I'm going back into my my lens of how I viewed things in high school. Mm-hmm. The biggest golf game when I was in high school was Tiger Woods mm-hmm. Golf, like. <laughs> The, the the franchise the Tiger Wood golf franchise had just really kind of taken off, and mm-hmm. even people who didn't like golf were like Tiger Woods golf is the shit. And I'm like Tiger Woods golf is just golf. It's boring. Mario golf was fun. I'm like, as yeah. soon as it's a plumber swinging the golf club, it's exciting. Exactly. It was just it was just it was it was it was that moment where Mario had proved that he was so malleable and mm-hmm. so universally loved. That Mario mm. could do something as lame as golf, as golf, and and you would still have a buttload of fun. All right, I do not have Mario Golf though. I have like every other one, so I'm actually gonna say Mario Tennis. That's my next. I game. have Mario Tennis is also on my list. All right, cool, cool. <laughs> All which right, um, Mario- we're getting we're getting the new Mario Tennis Aces, which is super cool. I'm excited about Mario Tennis Aces. Uh, I'm. I've been pretty critical of uh, Camelot uh, mm-hmm. with their tennis, you know. Yeah. 
because they haven't been putting too much effort into it. But the story yeah. mode is a good push. Yeah, it's a good start. Uh, I'm hoping that the gameplay mechanics, you know, bring it Are, back to uh, Yeah, become it, a little bit more fun. Exactly, and if they don't get it right this time, I think Nintendo needs to take it away from them yeah. and start doing mm-hmm. Mario Tennis in-house again. Yeah, uh, definitely. But I do have Mario Tennis. Alright, next up, mm-hmm. for the exact same reason that Donkey Kong is on the list, Banjo-Kazooie 1. Yes, that is on my list. Not Banjo-Tooie, but 1, yes. Yes, because Banjo-Tooie is inferior to Banjo-Kazooie. <laughs> Just love those characters. Uh... But yeah, once you have licensing issues... These licensing issues, though, I mean... Mm-hmm. But if there's any any game that I thought that deserves a licensing on my entire list, it was Banjo-Kazooie. Uh, you know what, though? Banjo-Kazooie are on the Nintendo Switch right now, in Minecraft. Yes. Mm-hmm, they are. <laughs> so is Master Chief. <laughs> exactly, so... If, if, I mean, come on now, if you're gonna allow that, you might... Just go ahead and let us have this for the N64 But But you're already making it. Minecraft is a Microsoft IP, so you kind of have to say, like, if you're going to put it on other platforms, they should at least have their own characters on those other platforms. Exactly. It's kind of dumb not to, but whatever. This is another game, though, that I... Like, this... Banjo-Kazooie. If you are younger and you have played Mario Odyssey and you love Mario Odyssey... Give Banjo-Kazooie a try. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, I think a lot of the best things in Banjo-Kazooie make their way into Super Mario Odyssey. Agreed. Except for, you know, except for the two-player, uh, not the two-player, the, uh, the two-character aspect of the game. But yeah. even then, like... You just, I mean, Cappy could be... Are he flies. Cappy flies. <laughs> he's, on, he's on Mario's head. I don't know. Um. <laughs> yeah, Badger Kazooie, man, I love that game, mm-hmm. and man, I kind of want to go, kind of want to go back and play that one because mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, like that's when Rare was knocking things out of the park, man. Mm-hmm. Like they really I mean, were... the current Rare is even made up a lot of the same staff, if at all, I believe, right? The ones that are making um Sea of Thieves right now, they're yeah, not even the same guys. It's all Platonic oh. now, which made Ukulele. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, which you know, Ukulele is like the spiritual successor to Banjo-Kazooie. Yes, and it's made by Rare, just a different name. Exactly. (laughs) The only thing that Microsoft owns of, other than the rights to the characters and name Banjo-Kazooie, is the logo and branding of Rare, but people that made the actual game, Banjo-Kazooie. The the problem with that is is that sometimes branding is everything. Yes, it is. Mm -hmm. Like, like we, we, you know, people start to, like, I would say, like, with Retro, with Retro, Mm -hmm. in Nintendo's case, we associate uh, Retro as a studio that has revitalized Metroid and Donkey mm-hmm. Kong. Yes. If Retro were to, you know, have this massive purge, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it, we would still associate the caliber of games with that yeah. studio. And mm-hmm. that's the problem. We are still associating Rare with, with Donkey Kong. Revitalizing, yeah. Great um, games. Banjo Kazooie, Diddy mm-hmm. Kong Racing. We're, we're associating that company with those with, with its previous successes. Mm-hmm. Uh, not so much as its as its current failures. Yes. Which as of late Rare has had a lot of what you know most people would consider to be failures. Mm-hmm. Right. Um but so Banjo Kazooie was yours, so it's now mine, correct? Yep. Um so they're pretty much unranked for the most part from here on out, but I guess just 
the obvious one, Super Mario 64 is, is the next one. I don't have that game on my list. There, right. there are a ton of ways to play Mario 64. Like, so many. You yeah. have the right. DS version, you have it on the eShops. I, I, I try to stick away from the, the tentpole games that... I, I did too. But only the ones that had been officially released in a more recent fashion um, was my argument. Because it's like, the only real, other than just an eShop port, of um, Super Mario 64 was Super Mario 64 DS. But, which is still older than, let's say, Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time, which was released on 3DS. So it's been a, it's been a bit longer in f of an official, like, not remake, but it was, but um, a... a not just an eShop title. So, N64 Mini is not eShop. It's its own thing. It's, in a sense. Um, I chose to stay away from that. I don't have any of the Zelda games, and I don't I, have Mario I, 64. I only added Zelda Ocarina of Time as a, like, just-in-case... I have it on there as, like, the maybe... It's the only one its own maybe category, honestly. But, um, Super Mario 64 did find its way in to my main list as well. Um, so, that is not on your list. Cool. Moving on. I did have one game that uh -huh. has had a semi-recent re-release. Mm -hmm. Star Fox 64. I was, th I was thinking, you are going to say Star Fox? Okay, yes, I do have Star Fox. Um, and and I, once again, you know, it's it's one of the big titles on N64. It had Star Fox Zero as well as 3DS. But it's like, those games just weren't as well-received. And in Star Fox Zero's case, you no, know, right, not rightfully so, but it wasn't as good. Um, but this is this is you know, if you're going to do Star Fox sixty four, I feel like you can't do better than the original, and so it does deserve to be on here. I have so. Star Fox sixty four on my list on the merits of its multiplayer. Uh, mm -hmm. Yes, Star Fox sixty four has a brilliant uh, competitive multiplayer. Mm -hmm. I love the fact that if you've unlocked enough stuff in the main mm -hmm. game, that you get the pilotless characters, so they're on foot. That's mm -hmm. so funny to see Slippy Toad run, running around uh -huh. the stage while people are flying over him and all he's got is a bazooka. Love mm -hmm. that. So I have Star Fox 64 there. Just because Star Fox 64 has only had the one really re-release, and it was very mm -hmm. early in the 3DS's lifespan. Yes. Um, I'm also going to say, um, I, I almost wanted to like avoid picking multiplayer games. In general, but I picked a bunch just to, like, fill out the list a bit more. Um, but I almost like, was very, very hesitant of picking them. Because it's like, do we know that multiplayer would be really supported for four people? I wasn't entirely sure if that would be a thing that's supported. I'm not sure why, I just felt I felt like there might be a chance that it's not if it actually came to be. And it's like, wow, that'd be super unfortunate. Let's, let's pause right here for a minute mm -hmm. and talk about the specifications of the system. Mm -hmm. um, so... In my dream version of mm -hmm. the N64 Classic and Mini Edition, or whatever they're going to call it, yes, I want four controller ports. Mm -hmm. I want Rumble enabled in, mm -hmm. built into the controllers. I want yeah. that built into the controllers. I want the RAM expansion pack as well mm -hmm. built into the system so that we could play the games like uh, DK64. Mm -hmm. It's kind of required for that game, so I was yes. like... Those three functions to be built into the system, and you really only have to package two controllers in the box. And then you buy extras. And then you can buy the extra uh, controllers. But mm -hmm. I would like to see those. So, just a quick 
rundown before we move back uh, mm-hmm. into our selections. The games that have made it into the system thus far. Mm-hmm. Paper Mario, yes. EK64, mm-hmm. Pokemon Stadium, yes. Mario Tennis, uh-huh. Badger Kazooie, Star Fox 64. So there's six games on our list yes. already. Right. Now, one thing that I want to make note, one more little addendum to the rules, is that mm-hmm. if three people have something on the list, mm-hmm. and we've hit our 15 games, we have right. to vote on the game to bump off. So Okay, yes. When the other guys throw their votes in, mm-hmm. we're, this this might start getting a little competitive. Now, now let's say, you know, I, I feel like Sin and Punishment or Animal Crossing really warranted it, but there's a lot of, like, cheaty ideas. Could we um, have, like, a, have a time where we go back and say, like, well, okay, I do kind of like the idea of having Sin and Punishment more than having, you know, this other game I voted on, so let's, like, pick Sin and Punishment in a later... Yes, is that all? Okay. okay. When all, when everybody's cast their votes, we will have a we chance will have to go back and exactly and just okay. go ahead and throw our votes in. It's like, hey, I didn't think of that game. Mm-hmm. I throw my vote in for that game. All right, sure. That could bump something off the list. Okay, right, okay. So we've got Star Fox here. What's your next pick? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, just just ta- finish the talk about um multiplayer Mario Kart Mario Kart sixty four. Didn't add that to my list because of the. It's it's, it's everywhere. It is everywhere, and but you. It, it's classic local multiplayer Mario Kart. It doesn't. There's no experience better than that. And then 64 did it right. There's so many memories. There's a reason. That, that's there's a nostalgia drive. There's another reason why. Okay. You know, I didn't add it. Okay. I hate every ice stage. Oh yeah. 64. Fair enough. That that's. <laughs> You play it enough for them to deal with it. <laughs> it's never fun, though. <laughs> um, I will say, though, that I do... There are some great stages. Okay, like, yeah. Wario like, uh, Stadium is a fantastic mm-hmm. stage. I love mm-hmm. the shortcut on that stage. And, like, it pains me to not have added that game to the list, but then I think Ice Stages. Okay, so, okay. Can't do it. All right, All right fair my enough. Next, my next game on the list. Wave Race. Wave Race 64 is on my list, yeah. I was ho- That's what my my next, like, throw your way was going to be with Wave Race, because it's like, okay, Mario Kart did not make the cut, we gotta go with a racing game, so Wave exactly, Race 64 that is, is exactly mm-hmm. why I chose it. And it was close, because it was between Wave Race and Cruising, uh, Cruising USA. Cruising USA, yeah, mm-hmm. that was but a good one. I really associate Cruising USA as an arcade game. I, I think so as well, it's not racing, it's definitely more arcade, yeah. So I, Wave Race 64, it's just something funny about mm-hmm. racing on a jet ski. Uh, it, it's just, it's, it's cheesy, but it's, it's great at the same time. Mm-hmm. And that was back in the day when people were like, it's too hard to program water. And I'm like, and Nintendo just was like, well, we're going to do it anyway. Um, so I'm actually, this one was kind of a maybe, but it's kind of more of a definite than the Ocarina of Time was. Um, F-Zero X. Because we're, we're on the subject of racing now, so I'm going to keep this train rolling. F-Zero X. F-Zero was a close one, but... Okay, not on your I, list? I, I, it was not on my list. Alright. It, it was almost on my list, but... Okay. I, ch- I didn't want to have too many racing games on, yeah. my, on my list. I, really I mean, my total list is 17, so that I could get away with adding a couple of racing games. Because, like, Mario Kart, I thought would be the definite one, but no, you've proven me wrong. I um, love Mario Until... 
multiple people start voting, I guess, as well. Um, you gotta get the those guys' votes. Exactly. That's the thing. Like, I love that game, but... You could have to bump it in favor of Mario Kart if the votes... Mm-hmm. Exactly. The, hmm. Like, it's another thing, too, is that if I'm gonna play Mario Kart, I'm gonna wanna play the best version of Mario Kart. Yeah, and I don't think I'll be sense. picking up my N64... I don't think I'll be playing the N64 Classic. Like, there are right, a few right, things right. on my NES Classic and my Super NES Classic that I've never even booted up. Um, mm. And not just not because they're bad games, because there's no bad games on either of those consoles. It's just that... There's just a better version out there. Exactly, and I would mm-hmm. rather play, you know, a more up-to-date... A better version. Alright, fair enough, fair enough. One game, though, that kind of supersedes that rule mm-hmm. is uh, Resident Evil 2. I mm-hmm. have Resident Evil 2 on my list. Now, I know it's the worst version of Resident Evil mm-hmm. 2. Uh, no voice acting. Um, you know, not the best version, but that's how I experienced Resident Evil 2 was on the N64. And Nintendo and Capcom have a fairly decent relationship. I would mm-hmm. like to see them add that game to the N64 Classic Edition. Uh, it's a, and it might very well be the best Resident Evil game outside of 4. So. Mm-hmm. I threw that in my list. I, I, knew, I, I knew that's a long shot game, but I wanted to see if anybody else had that same kind of love for it. So I, I might have, but I've actually never ever played Resident Evil. They've kind of kind of been things I think about playing sometimes, but I've I've never like done it. I've never played Resident Evil, so I there was I mean I've never played it, so I never had the opportunity to think about it when I was making my list. Like making little words, making my list here. Um, so. It, it's maybe a maybe thing one day, um, but if anything, I have to play four. I'd assume so like, you know, me seven. Seven's not even that. It's different from what I hear, but I, I don't know where I'd start. Like I said four is the best one, so you'd far, start with that. I'd assume, but I don't know. I haven't played any, so the must-play games, in my opinion, are Veronica, mm-hmm. uh, seven, four, mm-hmm. and two. I've Let's been. Hard in like pain. I, I've been I've been considering getting Revelations for like the longest time, and they are fairly cheap on the Switch. Um, I liked on the Wii U version you could have zombies like Miiverse posts, and that sounded kind of cool to me. I bet Miiverse kind of ruined it. Unfortunately, I haven't. I don't know, but it's kind of it's kind of tempting to see like zombies with little comments out of them. I don't know, but hmm. I've never played Resident Evil though. All right, what's your next pick? Um, didn't I just... Oh, no, you picked... Yeah, duh. Um, then let's see here. Let's say, going down this list... I mean, still still not quite racing. Um, Pilot Wings 64. Ooh, that's a good game, but... Didn't make not my on list. list. Alright, fair enough, uh, fair enough. It didn't age well. That game didn't age well. It and did I not, think, you're right. I don't think we want to... I didn't want to see that in a high-definition capacity. Okay, okay, fair enough, fair enough. Alright, so, next up on my list... One of these games from this franchise had to make it on the list, and it was a tough pick. But Mario Party Two. I was gonna say, I was gonna say you're picking Mario Party, and I got scared. Um, but I picked Mario Party One. Um, I thought, okay, so personal opinion, Mario Party One is superior to Mario Party Two. Mm-hmm. I cannot go through my life with those blisters again. Yeah, I I was worried about that when because. The, the spinning mini games with the N64 joysticks, joysticks, they got sued over, I believe, right? Um, but I think if they did remake the controls, they hopefully pad the joysticks, hopefully? And hopefully it fixes it somehow. They, Either that, or they'd have but, to remove those, 
those games from the cold. But they that they couldn't do that because that's altering the game in a big way. Those there's a lot of those games. That's true. Um, yeah, I had to I had to go with two just on the basis that yeah. I didn't want to see anybody injuring themselves again. I, I was worried about that, yeah. I was like, should I pick two? Because, uh... But, okay, what if we what if we did a coin flip, though, for Mario Party? Could we do another coin flip? Like, heads for one, and then tails for two? Alright, we'll do it. Heads All for right. one, tails for two. Let's see. We're gonna bring out our giant coin, and... It is tails. Tails for two, alright. So we're so picking Mario, Mario Party 2. two. Alright. Yep. People people's hands will thank us for this. I mean, I almost feel like they would never put two on anyways, or put one on anyways, just because there were the lawsuits. Well, and so, that, like, or they're going to have to ship the system with gloves. Yeah, like, something. It, it's just... It, it's too risky for them to try and ever, ever re-release that game, like... Uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's a risk at this point. Alright, so I've got one game left. So mm -hmm. what's your next pick? Um, what have I not said? I've said Paper Mario, I've said Donkey Kong, I've said Wave Race, um, I've said Pilot Wings, I've said Kirby, I've said Sin and Punishment, I've said Super Mario, Animal Crossing, Star Fox, Mario Party, Banjo-Kazooie, um, Mario Kart, Mario Tennis, F-Zero. Um, so at this point, it looks like other than Legend of Zelda, um, I have, I believe, two or three left. Um, so let's say Smash 64. Alright, that was my last pick as well. Alright, alright. Well, then, can I, can I just say the rest of mine, then? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. But before we do that, let's just mm -hmm. talk about Smash 64. Okay, yes. This is it. This is the quintessential party mm -hmm. game. This is yes. the game where... Where I get Kirby and win. <laughs> this is the game where bragging rights started in full force. Yeah. Which one of us could be out which one? So, back in the day, me and my friends... Excuse me. We used to do the 100-man... Oh. For the, 90, the 99 live four-player death matches, last person standing wins. Oh, how tired were your hands? Oh, man, it was so bad when it was all said and done. Those 99 live matches, those go on for over an hour. Oh, yeah, 100%. Especially if you're playing with people who are, like, within your skill range. Mm -hmm. You're not just clobbering them to, like, you know, 20 lives ahead or something. Yeah, no. Definitely. And then, and then you want to like you start creating alliances. Because mm, uh, uh, someone's a little too high. Were items on at all? Because that would change the course of events greatly if items were on. Sometimes items were on. Sometimes, uh, all, right, all right. Sometimes. All right, uh, the majority of the time they were off because we all know that Smash is Smash is truly competitive when there are no items. Yeah. Okay. I will say this, let me get a beam sword in my hands and y'all are going down. I mean, exactly. I feel like when you're doing 99 man with four people, you have to you have to have the items on personally. Because at that point, I mean, it, you could do it with skill, but that's just brutal. That's kind of brutal. I feel like just for speeding things up or whatever, um, um, or the sake of just, like, more fun, like, you know, items take a bit of skill depending on the items. Like, you're better than beam sword with me, let's say. You know, you're... You have more skill with that beam sword, so you know you have a skill that I don't. The beam sword, and so you could look at it that way as well. Now it's competitive. I'm better at that. Uh, um, but Yoshi's Story is on my list. That is a rare pick for somebody. I like, and not a lot of people have love for that Yoshi's Story. It, it's 
if I'm going down the line, um, I love Super Mario 64 a lot. I love Star Fox a lot. I love Mario Party a lot. Banjo, because it'd be Mario Kart, Mario Tennis. It's like in between. It's just probably just under Pokemon Stadium somewhere, though. Probably just under Pokemon Stadium, yeah. Um, but it, it is it is definitely warranted um my my pick in some fashion. Um, but I believe now I've mentioned I believe the whole list, right? Yes, that should be the whole list. Yep, that's my whole list. So just the other two Smash and Yoshi story, and we're set for me. All right. So for I mean, Legend of Zelda, but we already know that it's not on your list. And it was kind of a maybe for me, anyways. So. So we ended up with a good number of games for the first, you know, mm-hmm. for the first two set of people voting. So we have, run through this list again, Paper Mario, Donkey mm-hmm. Kong 64, Pokemon okay. Stadium, Mario Tennis, Banjo-Kazooie, Star Fox 64, Wave Race 64, Mario Party 2, and Smash 64. So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine games on right. our list. Nine total games. That is okay. a lot more than I anticipated from just the first two people. It's going to be interesting when uh, Jay Brilliant and uh, Jaden cast their mm-hmm. vote because we might see something get... We, I mean, we'll def- we might see the list fill out, but we might see our first game get bumped off. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Definitely. Our N64 Classic Edition, we only have six slots left. Something... Mm-hmm. Is definitely getting pumped, in my opinion. But I also feel like we're not going to get as many bumps as we anticipate. Because I feel like there's going to be a lot more repeats than we anticipate as well. Yeah, I, I, I feel wouldn't. Like I wouldn't be as many oddball choices. Uh, exactly, especially since there's a there's a good number of games on my list and your list that that mm-hmm. didn't have any like co- uh, coinciding. So mm-hmm. all we need from this list is one person, one more person to nominate a game that was missing. So, Pretty much, yeah. For me, it was WCW versus NWO. If Jay Brilliant were to nominate that game, mm-hmm. that game would make its way into our perfect N64 classic edition. So there's a whole lot of there's a lot of room. There's a lot of room, mm-hmm. and then there might be a game that neither you or I thought about. I mean, the N64 uh-huh. library was pretty big. Yeah, there are mm-hmm. a lot of N64 games. Despite it not being Nintendo's best console, mm-hmm. there are a lot of games that just I just think to say, but I think I think we hit a very good point. So, guys, this is a perfect time for us to take a five-minute break. So, mm-hmm. when we come back, we're gonna do our a very different deep dive than we normally mm-hmm. do. But we're gonna be talking about Xenoblade Chronicles. So, don't go anywhere. We will be right back. Okay, so guys, welcome back to the Nintendo Power Zone. Just a quick recap, we did have some audio issues in the first half, 
they've been corrected for the second half. Apparently, I forgot to sync up my mic properly, so mm. we're not going to have those issues. But we're back, and I'm your boy, Nice1983, and again, I am joined by Blues. Mm-hmm. So, we're going to talk about Xenoblade Chronicles 2. So, let's go ahead and start with this. Mm-hmm. Monolith Soft has been a very busy developer. In 2015, they released Xenoblade Chronicles X. They also assisted in the development of Breath of the Wild and Splatoon 2. So when did they find time to make a game as vast and as deep as Xenoblade Chronicles 2? When the game was first announced during the 2017 January Switch event, it was met with a lot of skepticism by both devout and casual fans, who all held the belief that there was no way the game would release in 2017. But on December 1st, the game was released and to pretty pretty critical acclaim. The game is sitting at an 83% uh, on Metacritic, which makes it another runaway success on the Nintendo Switch. But what makes the game so special? What sets it apart from other JRPGs such as Final Fantasy XV? Does it have any relation to Xenoblade Chronicles or Xenoblade Chronicles X? Today we're going to deep dive and give all the answers you seek. So listener beware, there are spoilers abound. Again guys, that is your second spoiler warning for this episode. If you've gone any further than this, I can't help you. Please don't comment that you're mad at us. You've been warned. But before we talk about any of this stuff, man, I just want to talk real briefly about this game and how I felt about this game. <laughs> I've played tons of video games in the 34 years that I've been alive. Mm-hmm. I would say that there's only been a handful of those games that make me really think about life after the game is complete. Just like put me in a deep state of like... I know exactly what you're talking about. Not a lot of games do that. Most of the time, I play a game to escape a certain sense of reality. You know, Mm -hmm. not that I my reality needs to be escaped in any sense. But, you know, this game made me very reflective when it was all said and done, like Mm -hmm. for weeks. You know, after I beat the game, like I'm now sitting on the third or fourth week since I've beaten the game. I spent like the first two weeks just contemplating the story, the characters, the ending, Mm -hmm. the motivations. So I was, when it was time to record, you know, an episode, I was like, well, we have to talk about this, uh, you know, just get our initial thoughts out there on the game. Mm -hmm. And, uh, once I wrap Wild Odyssey, I'm going to start another scripted series uh, just based on Xenoblade Chronicles uh, 2. But I'm still working on a direction for that. But I just I, I want to talk about the game in a discussion format simply because, man, it's just... I've been thinking about this game a lot. There's a lot to talk about and a lot to think about it, though. There definitely exactly. is. But I also want to do this as a sort of different deep dive. I don't want to spend, like you know, hours of exposition on certain things, but I kind of want to just get through these topics that we have uh, in in, in a concise way. Something, even though we're going to have spoilers, I want to make sure we're not like completely destroying the game for people. Anyway, Mm -hmm. I guess the first thing we should start with is the story and characters. Now, it's really hard to talk about a Cineblade game without talking about his story right away. Uh, Mm -hmm. So, the game starts with a salvager named Rex. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just going to buy his, you know, daily life, just jumping into the cloud sea, salvaging, getting whatever money he can from, you know, 
his salvage his salvages and you know he's just doing his thing he like he doesn't really have a care in the world other than the fact that he you know he's taking notice that titans have begun dying like and he's, he's also it a few times He's also worried about his village back home, um, Fonset Village, where he's from. He's been sending money back there, um, so that's why he's even salvaging. Is because he needs to raise money for his village. You know, they're not the most wealthy; they're kind of poor. So he's just trying to help them out over there. Um, exactly. That's his only other care than you know the Titans and just doing his thing as salvage, salvaging. Outside of that, though, you, you were led to believe that Rex lives sort of a carefree existent while somewhat mm-hmm. living on the edge because, you know, he's kind of like a thrill seeker at the beginning of the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <clears throat> so he goes to, uh, he goes to, to go uh, reclaim some money from his, one of his salvaging things when he is told that somebody wants to speak to him, a guy of high power. So that would be mm-hmm. Chairman Banna. Yes. And uh, Banna is, Tap tells Rex when you finally get to him after a bunch of tedious little tasks, uh, that he has a big mission for Rex and that will pay a lot of money, lots of money. And it is here that we are introduced to our antagonists, uh, Mm -hmm. Jan Malos and uh, Nia. Well, is Nia an antagonist? Well, at this point in the game, let's call her an antagonist. All right, all right, at this juncture, all right. So they tell Rex that you know they're going to go very deep into the Cloud Sea. They found some very important ruins, and they are willing to pay him. But they have this little caveat that the person who who goes on this mission for them has to be from Letharia. Yes, the Letharian Archipelago, which is where exactly. Fonset Village is, which is Rex's with, hometown. So mm-hmm. they go ahead. Rex accepts the mission without knowing what the mission is. He's just like, I'll do it because I'm happy-go-lucky, carefree, living on the edge. Well, no, he needs the big money that Bon is going to pay him to send back to his village. True, That's not but like, it is, but like, also, it's, it's a it's, challenge. He accepts the challenge, you know. It's so it, he does it so nonchalantly that it's like, yeah, dude, you might want to start thinking about some consequences, man. Get off the edge, you know. Take a step back. <laughs> but uh, you know, he goes and he tells his uh, his titan, uh, who's a serta. Serta, we'll call him Gramps from this point forward. Yes, mm-hmm. just because our Serta is a horrible name, and I don't want to keep saying it. All right, <laughs> but yes, um, he tells for, Gramps. For a bit of context on Gramps, um, Gramps is a smaller Titan who's basically only big enough for Rex to live on and carry Rex around. But that's his home. Um, but later on, we'll talk about how that changes in a sense. But um, for right now, he's a giant Titan that you he Rex lives on and writes on. Exactly. So, Rex accepts the mission, tells Gramps he's gone, Gramps chastises him slightly, and once they are, once once the mission takes part, you dive into the Cloud Sea in this amazingly epic cutscene, and from there, Rex leads uh, Jin, Malos, and Nia mm-hmm. through, the, through the corridors of this building until he finally reaches your first unique beast. Alright? It's kind of a cakewalk. Mm-hmm. Beat that unique beast, and here's where the whole somebody from Lefteria must come into play, because mm-hmm. only someone from Lefteria can open this huge doorway. So once the doorway is open by Rex, they see a beautiful redhead sword girl. <laughs> Although we have no context for the fact that she's a sword can, girl. As of can I moment. can I ha- 
have a little question for you. So it was like you were able to piece, they made it clear to piece together the, the points of the puzzle that the door needed to be opened from someone from Lotharia. But they never really directly said that at that moment. They just said, like, what? One of your kind has to open the door. And well, so the only real things we had was that Bana said he needed someone from Lotharia, and they needed someone of his kind. So was there any exactly. indication at this point that it had to be that's the what the his kind meant was Lotharia? No, and we don't really come back to that, to that point until, until like later. nearly the end of the game. Yeah, that's what I thought. They never really mentioned it at the at the beginning. Yeah, it's something that they kind of had to figure out for yourself. Yes. All right. Just double check. So in there. they find the girl, mm-hmm. and she's like in a stasis chamber, and Rex is approaching. When mm-hmm. he is warned by, uh, I believe it's uh, Milos, mm-hmm. don't touch that. Rex doesn't listen. Touches and takes it. Takes a sword through the chest for it. Yeah, I think. So well, Jin slaughters yeah, Rex essentially. Yes, Jin slaughters him. I thought M- Malos didn't say it, but Jin said it. Maybe I'm I wrong. Can't, I can't re- quite recall. I'd have to go All back. Right. Uh, he but, is warned not to touch it. Yes. He does not listen. He is stabbed through the chest. And he, and he dies. dies instantly. Just instantly yeah, dies. Game over. While he's in that like state between life and death, he is approached. Well, he is transported. To Elysium. We're going to use air quotes for Elysium right here. Mm-hmm. He's transported to Elysium where he hears a bell tolling. Mm-hmm. He must think it's coming from like the Praetorium is what is I think is what he his exact words are. That must be coming from the Praetorium. Runs off where he sees the redhead girl standing by a tree. She offers him a new life as long as he'll take her to actual Elysium. Elysium. Mm-hmm. So, Rex has this moment where he kind of freaks out. He's like, "Holy crap, I'm dead!" And like he had, to, like he has this realization. He's like, "Oh no, what am I gonna do? Gramps is gonna kill me. Wait, I'm already dead." Blah. Accepts Pyra's offer. Who at this point she has acknowledged that she is Pyra. She revitalizes him by giving him a fraction of the core, her core crystal, which is her life force. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, from there, we see Jin and Malos carrying that stasis chamber that Pyra's in mm-hmm. outside of the building, and then Rex bursts through the building out of nowhere, just completely bursts yeah. through it, yeah, holding much. holding this awesome sword, mm-hmm. and he challenges uh, Mal- well, Malos. Well, he challenges Jen. all of them to combat, but Malos is the one who picks up his blade, and they go at it in a beautifully beautifully done cutscene. Very long cutscene. So, Nia, in the process, I want to go back to Nia because we've Mm -hmm. overlooked her a little bit. She actually is unhappy with the fact that Jin has slaughtered Rex, but she's still willing to follow orders up until this point. She does not engage in the combat because she thinks it's wrong. She's like, you've already killed him once. And from there, epic fight scene, which results in the ship that they are on coming under heavy fire. Out of nowhere, uh, Gramps pops up and tells Rex to jump. Jumps on top of Verserta, or Gramps, and they fly off. Well, Nia, Pyra, and Rex all fly off on Verserta, correct? Yes. Not just yes, Rex, it's, yes. It's the group, yes, because at this point, Nia decided that it's time to bail. Mm-hmm. So, when the cutscene comes back 
we see that they've all landed on, I believe it's Uriah. Yes. Or no, not Uriah. Uriah's the th- third or second one. It's Gormont. um Gormont. Gormont. Yes, it's Gormont in the lower lower like legs forest of Gormont. And they're not all together. It's just Rex and Pyra at the beginning. We don't know where everyone else is, correct? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Everybody's mm-hmm. kind of scattered. Um so they're looking around on uh, uh, Gormont. Eventually, they come across uh, Gramps's body. He's still alive, and he tells Rex it was like a pleasure raising him. He was a great son, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Dissipates into thin air. Rex has another freak out moment. Gramps, Gramps, no, no, and then Gramps comes back in this cute, cuddly, tiny. Yeah, exactly. He's like a he's like a rodent with dragon wings. Yeah, and he's adorable. He's adorable, but he still has his old man voice. Yeah, and uh, he t- he explains to Rex that special titans have this ability to return to their larval state, which he has done. Mm-hmm. So, little brief moment of comedy before I, before we move on from that. I was thinking to myself, I was like, they did not set this character's death up. Very well. When I initially thought he was dead, I was like, I feel nothing because it's so you've early. Only had, like, you've only spoken to this thing for like 10 minutes of total gameplay time. Mm-hmm. So I feel nothing for its death. I'm like, I was like, this is a rare missed opportunity here. Like, I felt like yeah. this death meant nothing, but I was wrong. He wasn't dead. And he's a rodent, uh, small exactly. rodent. Comedy ensues from that point forward. Mm-hmm. So go on a little further, you find Nia. And Dromark as well. And yes, and you get them to join the party. And from there, the the story kind of takes off. Uh, The whole goal from this point is to take Pyra to Elysium. And Mm -hmm. everything that ensues is just a byproduct of that initial goal. Uh, Along the way, we meet some really fantastic uh, side characters. Uh, So, of course, we had Dromark, Nia added to your party. Uh, Mm -hmm. We meet uh, Tora. And more, well, first we meet Morag. Yes, Morag and Bridget. Exactly, and they are kind of introduced as antagonists in the beginning, but mm-hmm. they are uh, government officials for more ordained. She is like mm-hmm. one of their head generals. She, Morag is a badass. At mm-hmm. least the way they portray her as a, is that she's a badass. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first we actually don't meet Morag first. We meet Bridget. Bridget, yeah, she's without her driver at the beginning. So, so Bridget is Morag's blade, which blades and should we do go over the blades and driver concept? Yes, yes. Let's go over the blade driver yeah, concept. Yeah. Um, so we've mentioned that Pyra is a sword girl. Um, so Pyra is what we would refer to as a blade. Um, and so she herself is a weapon, a living weapon. And that living weapon, Pyra, who's a blade, can give her weapon, her powers to Rex, to wield, and they should have to work in unison here to to accomplish the goal of combat <laughs> um exactly. i guess and it, it creates you know unique relationships between each driver and their blade they have multiple blades um and each blade is its own whole character which is cr- crazy um that this game has so many characters and to give a little bit more exposition on pyra she's not just any blade well we'll, we'll get to that aegis. we'll get to that mm-hmm. they're not there pyra, yet yes pyra, pyra is the aegis uh, they do explain it a little bit uh, during it, that first combat during scene between, Morag, uh, yes. between Malos and... Uh, well, they only mentioned it. They don't 
It's a mystery. Yes. Morag and Bridget are the ones really kind of explain it. Exactly. So now that we've got a little bit of information on Blades, so mm-hmm. we, we are introduced to uh, Bridget, mm-hmm. and she is a hot blue fire blade. Mm-hmm. Um, One of the strongest blades in existence exactly, yes. as well. And what's what's cool about her is that she is very com- calm and composed when she realizes that this red red haired green cord uh, blade is in fact the easiest, and she doesn't care. She still decides that she's taking on Pyra. Mm-hmm. Nice little combat scene ensues. Uh, from there, Tora, who is part of the party officially. Mentioned. No, not at this point. He's he's not there because they capture Nia. Nia goes missing. Tora save Tora saves them. Then they find Tora. And he's part of the party. Oh, okay. Yes, that's right. All right. So after this epic fight scene, which results in some, uh, you know, a pipe bursting, and mm-hmm. Rex and Power using their fire powers, it, despite the water being present. Mm-hmm. Whereas uh, Bridget can't use her fire powers mm-hmm. because of the water, they make a they make a run for it. They are introduced to Tora at this point, mm-hmm. uh, and from there, I think it's I think we should talk about Tora a little bit. Mm-hmm. Tora is a no pawn. One of the uh, he's essentially like your your Moogles from Final Fantasy VII. Mm-hmm. Those recurring cutesy characters that all Japanese RPGs seem to have. So akin to Chocobo, Kate, Sis, Moogles. Uh, and I'd almost like to mention that you say recurring. They're not just like recurring at the world of Xenoblade Chronicles 2, um, because you know they are, but these are recurring throughout every single Xenoblade game. They're in Xenoblade Chronicles 1, they're in Xenoblade Chronicles X, which is very weird that they're in X, but that aside. Further, there, there's mm-hmm. like a proto version of them in like the Xeno Saga. And yes, the Xeno, yes, there and is. Like to tie yes. the the larger Xeno franchise together as a whole, there are proto versions of the No Pawns yeah. in the previous iterations of the franchise. But when you think about those previous Xeno Saga games as well as X, they're not the same universes, really. No, no, it's just, it's, so, it's kind of like but, a relation by name only. Yeah, but then the No Pawn are are always a constant in Xeno games, no matter what universe it's in, which is an interesting thing to think about. Yeah, it's. It, I guess it's just become a signature of, uh, mm-hmm. of uh, yeah. uh, the developer. I think so as well, but it's also... You could do a lot of stuff with that continuous race. It could tie in a lot of different ways. Hmm. Yeah. Or is that unifying so, factors there? Anyways. Exactly. So to, to talk about Tora a little bit more, Tora mm-hmm. is a... I, I guess we could call him a genius despite his characteristics. Uh, yeah. he, he is a genius inventor, and... He desires to become, to become a driver, a... but he can't. Yes, uh, he does not have the potential to resonate with a core crystal. Exactly, because not everyone can become a driver. It, it is mm-hmm. exclusive um, to a certain, you know, to certain people. Uh, yeah. he, they show a cutscene where his whole family at one point had tried to become drivers, and they were all left uh, seizing on the floor, which was actually... nose bleeds for weeks. <laughs> exactly, which was pretty funny. Yeah, um, but. His workaround is for that. He's like, I'm a genius, and I come from a whole lineage of geniuses, and we have all been trying to build our own artificial, artificial blade. blade. So, think a robotic blade, just exactly. robot. That's a blade. <laughs> so Rex and Pyra obviously 
want to save Nia because she was kidnapped or she was captured during the ensuing mm-hmm. battle. So yes. Tora says, I'll join your party, but I can't help you until, until my I get mm-hmm. Yes. So you are then sent on a couple of fetch quests to help uh, Tora build his his blade, which is at this point just called Poppy. Well, at that point, you didn't have the name yet. It yes, was after once, they once fixed it's complete, it. They, yeah, mm-hmm. once it's complete, it is given the name Poppy. And, Poppy uh, Alpha, technically, as well. Because yes. there's different, yeah. But right now, the so, starting Poppy is Poppy Alpha. Yeah, so, and they just call her Poppy. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, Poppy, her activation scene. Oh, yeah, that's kind of weird. Poppy. Yeah. It's, it's, it's pure, like, fan service. Uh, if anything, it's making fun of fan service, and I think that's sort of Kara's character. That he he clearly wants like the whole master. Um, um, I don't say Japanese. Like the 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 thing where the cute anime girl calls him master. That's what he's. That's what he's all about. She basically functions as the uh, the cute maid. Yeah, yeah, cute maid. The the Japanese maid trope. Where like yeah. You know they they are very subservient and must do exactly yeah, what yeah. they're told by whomever is uh, paying them. So it's <laughs> yeah. actually pretty hilarious. Mm-hmm. Um, that that first activation scene of Poppy made me laugh. Uh, plus, I just love the look on Rex and Pirate's face. Oh yeah, there's no other time they look that just blown away by stupidity. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, like they're just they have the all the like the very anime tropey like. No pupils, giant eyes in that moment. Hilarious. Yeah. So now that you've got you've added Tora to your party, mm-hmm. it's time to go uh, rescue Nia. Mm-hmm. Uh, who at this point, in my opinion, is not worth rescuing. No, not at all. <laughs> she is so annoying at this point of the game. She, yeah. Um, you go, you basically infiltrate a military facility. Mm-hmm. You save Nia. Uh, which culminates in your first major boss fight, uh, which I, the name of the boss is currently escaping me, uh, but he's a giant tool. Uh, either way, so you fight him, and then you have once you re- you rescue Nia, you fight him, you go for, to make the great escape, only to be stopped by Morag and Bridget. And, Bridget. and now. The blade and the driver are together, and you truly see the bad acidness of Morag and Bridget as a team. Um, ultimately, though, Rex finds a way to get the upper hand. Not going to spoil exactly how he takes the upper hand, but he does. And I love the moment where Morag is like, "He didn't take this seriously. She like he held back. That if, like she like there's like genuine." Like, she feels genuinely offended by the fact that Rex did not go all out against her. Epic cutscene, though. Uh, And it's here we're kind of introduced to the notion uh, in the next cutscene that whatever pain or damage Rex takes on is also felt by Pyra. And uh, something that we're going to talk about a little bit more as we progress through the story. Uh, From there... They realize they need to leave Gormont, and I believe they uh they requisition a ship from Tora's uncle. Um, Uncle Noman, right? Yes, yes. He they has get his own little blurt. Yes, on the nose or whatever of Gormont. 
Exactly, yes. But in order for you to get his his ship, you gotta do a couple side quests and once once that is complete, the crew takes off and they mm-hmm. head for the world tree where Elysium is said to be at. They are attacked by a giant cloud serpent. Ophion is his name. Ophion. We'll, yes. we'll talk about Ophion a little bit more later. And yes. they are sent careening down where they land in Araya's um, belly. Araya, Araya's belly. They're basically eaten by a titan, mm-hmm. which is great. It's uh, like the, the scene in Pinocchio where Pinocchio gets eaten by the whale. Exactly. That's all I could think about. Uh, so within Uriah's belly, we meet a another character, uh, Vandom. Vandom. character. Badass. Yes. Vandom is badass. So mm-hmm. Vandom is this very strong uh, mercenary. Uh, Head of he mercenaries. He, yeah. he, he challenges you, and he, he makes it think like he's going to try to steal Pyro away from you like everybody has been trying to do up to this point, only for him to say, okay, that's enough. I just wanted to test my strength against the Aegis, which I'm like, oh, that's badass. Like, he just wants to test himself. <clears throat> Hold on one second. Once All right, sorry, my fault. No, you're fine. All right, what was the last thing we were talking about? Um, Vandom's being a badass for testing strength against Pyro. Yes, Vandom is a badass, and uh, just just because he just the fact that he wanted to test his strength. Mm-hmm. Um, from there, that's some confidence. Oh, hey. and I'd also like to mention that that's not nearly the most badass thing he'll do when you're no. partying with Vandom. Not at all. Yeah. So from there, you go on a series of uh, side quests with Vandom, uh, but you also learn a couple things. Like they use the character as sort of like a additional tutorial. He teaches you how to use the topple ability, which is new to uh, Rex at this point. Yes, uh, it's very, and that's something that will become very effective uh, within the combat later on. Yes, um, and then you uh, take 
him to you, the party, go to Fonza Mima, mm-hmm. where Which you are is an absolutely beautiful city. Oh yeah, dude. Uh, I I had a lot of Kingdom Hearts, uh, like uh, f- flashes uh, mm-hmm. while I was here. I was thinking like, think like Twilight Town. If Twilight Town was much more populated, more or less. I mean, it's even more beautiful than Twilight Town. I'd say though. Oh yeah, the atmosphere in that mm-hmm. in that city, the music. The entire uh, Araya Titan is absolutely beautiful. It's, it's actually very, one of my, um, fa- it's one of my favorite surreal. Titans visually. Mm-hmm. Yes, agreed. It's very surreal in the design, and the city Fonsamima is very, very amazing architecture. Um, but yeah. Yes. So once you're in Fonsamima, you are tasked. You you go. You're looking for a uh, somebody who used to uh, fight alongside Vandom. Mm-hmm. And uh, once you are there, once you are there, you you go into a I guess it's a playhouse or a theater. Yes, a theater. And you watch this awesome, like, play that is setting up a like uh, it's it's a lot of foreshadowing in this play mm-hmm. uh, to things we're gonna find out later. And it's kind of like the story of uh, Adam, who was uh, Pyra's original driver. And, well, uh, he. More or less, but we'll get into that. It wasn't Pirate's Driver, but the dr- yeah, well, yeah, well, driver. We're getting there. <laughs> getting there. I know it's like it's so hard to not like get it. I know, yeah, I know, yeah. Oh, jeez. But yeah, you you're basically watching the story of Adam um, mm-hmm. and how he uh, freed the world, uh, mm-hmm. and you find out that Pyra may have had like a hand at doing something bad at like the death of what is it three titans in this great uh blade war yes the so, aegis yeah. war resulted in three whole titans just dying and they're major major titans that were just like araya just like ramat and that they not like not not asurda asurda can only fit one person these fit entire entire nations on them yes the three whole nations have died and uh one of them i believe was torna, torna. Mm-hmm. which is very important mm-hmm. uh, later on Yes. Uh, basically, the crux of the story is kind of about like, the, the motivation of certain characters is literally because of the fall of Torna and mm-hmm. a certain driver. Yes. All right. So we come to find out that the play was uh was was uh the 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 actors who were uh, the troop of actors mm-hmm. were led by Cole and Cole is who you were there to speak to. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cole. Seems to know Pyra pretty implicitly. Mm-hmm. Uh, he goes to speak with Pyra in private, so no one else really knows. But then it, it becomes clear, like they know each other from somewhere. <laughs> exactly. And this also isn't the first time that we've seen this. Like, um, Asura, Gramps, and Pyra have had conversations in the very beginning where it's like, exactly. Hey, remember, you know, a thousand years ago or whatever? <laughs> and it's. For, for for Asurda, it makes sense. For Cole, it doesn't really make sense. Exactly. But Pyra does refer to Cole by a different name during mm-hmm. that private session. She calls him Minoff. Mm-hmm. Um, from there, you know, the group goes back to their hotel to partake in some rest. Then Cole is approached by Jin and Malos. And they basically say... You're dying. You don't need to die. We can give you life. We can Just re- tell us where Aegis is. Exactly. We can make you whole again. You don't have to die. 
uh, Cole slash Minoff decides, I'm not about this life. I'm not going to, you know, sell I, I out want, Pyro. I don't want any part of what you guys are going to do. Mm -hmm. But he is the caretaker of a young girl named uh, Iona. Mm -hmm. And she has overheard this entire conversation and she doesn't want Cole to die. And uh, she decides that she's, she's going to approach Jin and Malice and say, can you really save uh, uh, Cole? And they're like, certainly can. And they kidnap her. They yeah. kidnap her because anime dumb moments. <sighs> yeah, pretty much. Word is sent to Pyra that they have Iona while everybody's asleep at the hotel. Pyra goes off on her own. To kind of you know barter herself, her mm -hmm. her in exchange for Iona. Iona, yes. Uh, the group wakes up and they notice that Pyra's missing. They realize that uh, Iona I is also missing. Exactly because Cole, you know, makes them aware of this fact. Mm -hmm. They go running off looking for Pyra. They get to the very top of Fontamima, which is a lot of stairs to climb, mind you. That that was. Kind of almost too many stairs to be like worth the build up. Well, the worst part is, is that not just that, but the staircase has like these streams of water mm -hmm. along the it side. You can go down exactly, but... and I just couldn't help making the characters like I had to make them surf down the water. Mm -hmm. Like, so I actually had to go up the staircase a couple of times. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. because video game reasons. Anyway, so once we you get to the top of the staircase, the the longest staircase ever known to man. Mm -hmm. I like climb those stairs, by the way. In Which is life, only like halfway of those actual stairs, too. Because there's another section. You just go in from the halfway point. Mm -hmm. So once you're at the top, epic cutscene. Uh, who is introduced in this? I believe it's Akos is introduced here. No, 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 no. No, it's uh -huh. um. It's uh, it's just Jin and Malos. No, it's it's not um. Jin's not there. It's the dude who has um um, not. Uh, Who's he cut off ether flow? You know, Blade that would cut off the ether flow, right? Akos. He was... Yes, that's Akos. Oh, that is Akos. Okay. Yeah, so we're. What was, in... what was his Blade's name? It was like. I'm trying to remember. Let me. I'm going gonna... to. It was like Shakespearean, like fairy or something, I think. Like, not Oberon, but. Looking up Akos right now. Yeah. Was it Oberna, maybe? Not Oberon, but Oberna. Oberna. Oberna, okay. Yes. yes. So we're introduced to Akos. Uh, and Akos is a driver who obviously has a Brona. And as uh, Blues put it, they have the ability to cut off the ether flow, which basically mm -hmm. means that the blades and the drivers can't really, you know, power each other. Mm -hmm. Blades resonate the ether to give to the drivers in order for them to fight. If you interrupt that, then their blades and their weapons are basically useless. Exactly. So. This culminates in a in a fight that Rex cannot win. Mm -mm. He is not a competent enough uh, driver to figure a way out, and neither is anybody else in the party. The only person who isn't affected by this, I believe, is Poppy. I don't remember. She she's she generates her own, right? But exactly, yes, because she was still she was still not able to do it though. I believe she was just incapacitated because they beat her up. Maybe. Um, 
it's been about a month since I've played this game. Yeah, that was that was a while for me as well. Exactly. So some of the de- I'm, some I'm losing a little bit of the details. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but Va- Van Dam makes himself extraordinarily useful during this point. And let's just talk about how. This is one of those even more badass parts. He stabs himself with his weapons to get ether from his own body. He you can't he says you can't stop this ether flow. He's that's his dying wish is to take these motherfuckers down with him. With his He, he just goes all out too. Yeah, yeah. And it's 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 brilliant. It's just this brilliant moment where mm-hmm. like you see a character who is already just powerful in his own mm-hmm. right, willing to find a way to become slightly more powerful and still just not be strong enough. Mm-hmm. So but he, he gives a lot of hope with with that scene. He inspires uh, Rex. And, and the words, your own war, find your own war. That was... Yeah, that has got away with words. And it was just this awesome fight, though, man. Just mm-hmm. that, that moment. But ultimately... It's not enough. He mm-hmm. is overpowered by the by the group, mm-hmm. and he dies. He dies, which sets Rex off in a way that he isn't set off. He has not been set up up until this point. He has not mm-hmm. been this mad. He has not been this hurt, and he tries. It, it, he tries to fight more. Tries to fight more, but he's about to die. And it's also worth mentioning, he got set off right at the very beginning when Jin killed him, he got back brought back to life. But that was nothing compared to this. This was a whole new level for Rex. Exactly. It's it's one of those things where you realize that Rex's own life isn't as important to him as, the, as all of his as, friends. Of his party members, his friends. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it actually sets him off a lot more, and it's a good character moment for Rex. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, again, we've just as I said earlier, he is not a competent enough driver, you know, to to fight back against mm-hmm. the for, the odds that are stacked against him. And he is the cutscene feels so one sided. Exactly, he is about to die. There's no mm-hmm. if, ands, or buts about it. They're going to kill him a second time. And there's Pyra no coming back from that. Exactly. And Pyra freaks out. She has this huge freak out moment, and she becomes something else entirely. Mm-hmm. Uh, at this point, we are introduced to the character of. Mithra, which mm-hmm. is Pyra's other self. We'll call it true form. Yeah, original. Yeah, true we'll call form. it true form with air quotes up until this yeah. point. So, Pyra and Mithra, voiced by the same voice actress, mm-hmm. by the way. And yes. I want to say real quick that I wasn't a fan of the Pyra voice. Mm-mm, no. But the the subtle changes she makes in, in her being voice, Mithra. Exactly. The the changes in her performance as Mithra, I'm like, okay, she is a really good voice actress. Because mm-hmm. it's kind of hard to play two characters as one. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Agreed. And uh, I just so- I just wish that Pyra's voice was, was still stronger, because it's like, Mithra's voice was obviously, obviously the stronger between the two, and kind of made me want just more of Pyra's voice to be... Because Pyra's... I don't want to say shy, but she's shy, and it shows in her in her voice where it's her dialogue is very, very slow, quiet, and and doesn't cuts off a lot. I, w- I would say Pyra is meek. Yes, meek. She's, that's that's probably the she's word. Meek. Mm-hmm. I would call her meek versus uh, shy. Just she's, she's yeah. not like fully confident in her abilities. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But in this moment, Mithra activates and uh, mm-hmm. she performs, uh, what is it, the Arrow of Light special? Yes, but she also does the uh, Foresight, Future Sight thing as well. Yes, exactly, where she basically grants uh, Rex the ability to see, into see the future. slightly into the future. It's very, uh, it's very much like Shulk's Foresight. Yes, exactly. Ex- except that in the context, the difference here is that the Foresight is not a combat mechanic in this game, whereas it yeah. was in Xenoblade Chronicles 1. Uh, it's more of like I mean, a mechanic. They use it in cutscenes, but you don't actually have like the ability, the predictive abilities that you do mm-hmm. within actual combat. Yeah, and it's kind of weird to me as well that that's not a thing, because it's never really used in any cutscene that's not combat either. It's only in combat-related cutscenes. Whereas exactly. with um with the Monado and and Xenoblade Chronicles One, you know it gives pow- Shulk the power to see it or randomly things that are even more distant into the future. I, I mean, I honestly think it exists as a way to parallel the two games. I, I think so as well. Like, uh, because Rex and Shulk's journeys up until this point have been pretty similar. Boy find boy gets sword. Boy, you know, gets all powerful sword, mm-hmm. and uh goes on an adventure to save the world. You know, yeah. it's they're, they're running like a similar course. So I think it was just a way to draw a parallel that will kind of come into play later on in the game, much later on. But I think it was literally just there as, as a parallel. Like, yeah, I, he also has yeah. this ability. You know, it's not, no. it's not really exclusive to, to Shulk from the first yes. game. And up until this point, we have no reason to believe that these two games have, have any connection Mm-mm, other no. than, like, the superficial ones such as No Pawns. And just the name title. Exactly. Well, and, and you know, if we're going as to, to talk about the Xeno franchise Saga. as a whole, yeah. not the, you know, the only games in the franchise that are truly connected are the Xeno Saga games. Mm-hmm. I mean, because they're direct continuations of one another. Yes. And this extends all the way back from Xenogear all the way to Xenoblade Chronicles 2. There's not a whole lot of, like, overarching themes between the these games except for that Xeno Saga for the PS2. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, but Pyra wields superpowers, essentially. She is badass. But, yes. Or uh, Mithra. Yes, I'm sorry, Mithra. And uh, this actually kind of makes... Malo's a little happy. He's like, oh, so she's finally awake. And uh, it's one of these moments where I was like, oh, snap. This story is about to get a lot more complicated. Yeah. So uh, after that, basically Mithra saves them all. And Mm -hmm. uh, we move on to Vandom's funeral. Well, well, we also just see a glimpse of her just obliterating their core crystals. They're just dead. Oh, yeah. Those blades are dead. They're not yeah. coming back. Just obliterated. Nope. Which like shows like how powerful Mithra the is. truly is. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, but from there we move into Vandom's death. Uh, and Vandom has been uh, buried where he died. Uh, that was like the code of the mercenary. Yes. I believe. And, That's uh, how Vandom would have wanted it, yeah. Exactly. Uh, teary, teary celebration, uh, you know, funeral. And uh, Mithra comes back out, and she basically accosts Rex. She's like, this is your fault. I didn't want to come out. I was happy asleep. 
the only reason I'm here is because she wanted to save you, which is gives our first indication that Pyra and Mithra are not the same. They, they share a body, but they are two distinct personalities. Mm-hmm. Like and even personalities, they're people. They they are two different people in the same body. Exactly personalities. Like they will have conversations with each other as two different people rather than personalities. Yeah, later on they refer to themselves as sisters. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Rex is like, I don't want anybody else I love to die. Uh, now he's trying to get a handle on Mithra. And mm-hmm. we move to, uh, where do we go from? From Araya, you go to More Ordain. More Ordain, where yes. uh, More Rag and Bridget are from. Mm-hmm. And this is where Tora really comes into play. Like, Tora's, like, storyline becomes really interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the evil chairman, Bannon, Banna, makes his way back into the story. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, upon arrival in Moradain, you uh, run into another artificial blade. And she has committed a crime that Poppy is actually accused of. Because how many artificial blades are running around? So from there, you know, Poppy has to, you know, maintain her innocence. And uh, they have to get to the bottom of this. Turns out that uh, a little secondary character that we meet upon arrival at Moradain, this chief scientist, has actually kidnapped Taurus' father and forced him to build a horde of artificial blades for an unknown purpose. And not only did he kidnap Tora's father, he murdered, got, his rather father. got people to murder um, Grampy Pon, Tora's grandfather. Exactly. Uh, so, they find, you know, the, the, the party finds this out. This cannot stand. Mm-hmm. They must bring down, you know, the artificial blade army. Which culminates in one of the craziest boss fights ever with uh Rosa, right? Yes, the giant freaking robot. Mm-hmm. So great, so great. It's oh, like man. a shitty anime, but it's like very, very big. <laughs> Not shitty. <Exactly. laughs> and culminates in uh, Poppy having one of the most badass moments in the game, mm-hmm. where Tor and Poppy, who have not been part of the battle up until this point, find their way into the battle. And just help you lay waste to this giant uh, artificial blade that's being piloted like a mecha, and it's it's really it's really great. And just this, it's like this one thing where like, if this wasn't in the game, the game still would have been good. It mm-hmm. just wouldn't have been as good because this moment is like, it's like fifty percent epic, forty percent comedy, and just ten percent badassery. And it's also how we introduced to you Poppy's new form. Um, so in this cutscene, Poppy goes Super Saiyan cute. Um, Super Saiyan cute maid girl. Um, and and that's her new form is Poppy QT. Exactly, yes. Yes, she does get her first major upgrade mm-hmm. here. Which is interesting because normally drivers just wield multiple blades. Whereas Poppy will transform between different variations of Poppy, which each variation can also be modified by playing the game Tiger Tiger to get modification parts for Poppy. And she's fully customizable character, which is a lot of fun to play around with if you actually are good at Tiger Tiger. 
what I love about the character of Poppy is though, it's like as as the upgrades progress, the sexier the blade gets. Yeah. yeah. Just gets slightly sexier with yeah, each upgrade. Exactly. I was like, oh lord. Like the like, original Poppy Alpha is like kinda like child friendly cute. And then Exactly, yeah. It's like you see QT form, it's like, okay. You know, it, it's kinda kinda not not scandalous, but um I don't know. It's just more more mature in a sense. Exactly. I don't know. And then uh, there is something uh, that we skipped. We skipped one thing. Uh on the way to fighting giant evil robot artificial blade mm-hmm. we are introduced to a character named zeke uh the zeke oh yeah yeah Wait, they basically team rocket him that was way back in Araya, wasn't it that was actually way back in Araya. yeah we skipped that so you have two you've had two encounters with him at this point but yeah, yeah he's bait but the during your first encounters with zeke he's basically treated like team rocket from the pokemon anime yeah. Blasting off again. Bing. Well, see, it's not even that. He does it to himself. Exactly. Yeah. He he is very not incompetent, but he's so severely unlucky that yes. bad stuff just keeps happening to him. And, and it's also funny because he is a very high luck stat. And which also yeah. is just his his luck stat's very high. And I like how that's he has very high luck, it's just bad luck. It luck doesn't define if it's good or bad luck, it's just luck. And <laughs> It's you no, know, but the character is—he's a riot. He, yeah, he really is. Like Turner's is the best mascot he could ever pick. I love it. <laughs> yeah, this stupid little like alien turtle titan thing. Oh, well, no, no, no. He he has a little he has a little turtle that's just is Turner's yeah. that is representation of his like, extraordinarily long oh, yeah, tail or something. Yeah, it's not it's quite so, a turtle. It's like it's so weird. It, it kind of reminds me of Captain Ginyu. Like when he after he became a frog, like visually, it's kind of it reminded me of that. But yeah, and that sort of provides his uh, his nickname for, that Neo gives him from one on from then on is Shellhead. Shellhead, yes. All right. At this point, Nia is still not a redeemable character. By the way, no, she's never honestly. She never redeemed herself for me. Uh, you see, never. she did for me, but it was so late in the game. And that's sort of what killed it. That's left she couldn't redeem herself from me because even when she did redeem herself, it's like that's it's so it's just no point at all in this. No matter what, because everything's just like you've you've missed so many chances on everything, on everything. All it's right, just, you couldn't come back. No, she never got better for me. Um, but so Zeke seeks encounters. Yeah, so his first encounter, uh, in uh, I guess Uriah. Mm-hmm. He basically uh, unleashes a move so powerful that it destroys the ground around him. And, and sends falls. it down the cliff. Exactly, just goes straight down. The second encounter is in Mordain, and I'm mm-hmm. what does he cause? Like a rock avalanche the second time? Yeah. Well, it's just a giant boulder that comes down on him. Comes yeah. down, yeah. Like Indiana Jones style. And then they're just running for their lives. Yeah. Him and uh, mm-hmm. him and uh, Pandoria. Pandoria. Mm-hmm. This is just so funny, though. Like, he's literally there. He is literally introduced as a Team Rocket-style villain. Yeah, yeah, just pure comedic relief. And it's like, at that point, I had, I'd seen some spoilers. Like, the, the next party member is Zeke. And I'm like, there's no way. There's no way this is my next party member. They're, they're not going to do this to me. Yeah. <laughs> How do you? <laughs> yeah, so from here, from after, so from this point of the game, 
Rex is invited to speak to the Praetor at uh, Indol. Well, well, no, no, no. We just finished Rosa's um, dialogue, right? We're not even... We didn't get to Lotharia yet. Or not Rosa's boss. Yeah, yeah. You're invited to Indol, but you have to go... To go to Indol, you must... Well, well, we're not even there yet. <laughs> we're still in just post-Rosa. So, so, um, Bana tries to escape after the Rosa boss fight, and then there's two more members of Torna, remember? And they, they try and sort of save Bana and try and put up a fight, and then Morag busts in. Oh, you're right, you're right, you're yes. right, Kale and, uh, Patroka. Yes, I believe that's their names. Ow. Yeah. Okay, yep, okay, I'm remembering now. Yeah, so that was a pretty epic thing where, mm -hmm. Pyra, where you, you realize that Pyra and Mithra have certain limitations. Mm -hmm. Mithra is not very useful in closed indoors. spaces. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Because her. She's uh, too her, powerful and her exactly. light based attacks ring from the sky, etc. Yeah, she needs open space. Mm -hmm. uh, without open it. Space above ground. Without it, yeah, you need, you need to be accessing Pyra mm -hmm. as long as you're uh, indoors or anywhere that you don't have access to light. Mm. So, yes. And, uh, okay, so that. So, Banner tries to escape, you're right. Mm -hmm. uh, Petroka and Mikhail show up. They start some stuff. Mm -hmm. Pyra switches to Mithra. Or, Mithra switches back to Pyra. They do some strategic switching. Exactly, and then... yeah. They, they basically formulate a plan that requires them to... Switch be shift. between... With Morag busting into... um, Then sort of hold them back while they could get them in a position... For Mithra to come out and obliterate their core crystals. Uh, but be I believe before she has a chance to really do anything, uh, the battle is actually interrupted. But no, that's I, it's not after. It's Fawn, right? And Fawn comes Fawn. in. Um, yes. Is that what her her name at that point is, right? Or is it different? Fawn Lenore, right? Lenore, yes, Fawn Lenore. Um, she's I'm after the core crystals went out. I thought, but maybe not. No, I thought I, I could have swore that she actually interrupted before Pyra got a chance to use. No, their core Mithra. crystals definitely got activated. Then one of them, the girl, went like crazy with the red power. Um, and then Fawn and Orn stops the red power. Then they retreat yeah, yeah, because yeah. they weren't going to stop if the core crystals got obliterated. They were just more angry. Yes, yes, you're right. You're correct. So she comes and she interrupts. Mm -hmm. Petroka and Mikhail seem to recognize her to an extent. Mm -hmm. Yes. And they decide that this battle isn't worth, you know, completing. But they do leave with, and like... And gets away. Exactly. But they leave with, like, a fleet yeah. of, of, of artificial blades. They don't leave empty-handed. They leave, and they have a boatload. A literal flying Titan boatload. Well, it's not a Titan boatload. Isn't that the, um... What's the one? It's not powered by a Titan. It's... I forgot the name of it. Um, but it's that black one. The big... You see it everywhere. It's the Dark Aster? Probably. I don't remember. But it's not powered by Titans, which is why it's such a marvel, I believe. I remember. Man, that's... It's just been so long at this point. Yeah. There's so many little details. It just gets really, like, lost in it, you know? Yeah. Trying to explain the story after, like, a month away from it, it's right? a little yeah. difficult. It is. Alright, but they get away on their big, giant titanless ship uh with all these artificial blades yes we don't know what their plan is for them but there is a plan uh yes. from there the character fallen she decides she tells rex and and the team that 
He's they, been summoned by the Praetor. By the Praetor. Uh, who we've seen in a previous cutscene, but not really seen this. We've only seen them from behind. Mm -hmm. um, he, so, well, yes, it was the cutscenes where you saw the, the man who went to Elysium and found the two core crystals, I believe, correct? For the Aegis? No, they just show him wearing the white coat. You see him standing from behind. And he's like looking up at like this giant like wall carving of the world tree. Oh, just, well, I thought like, that was after. No, it's okay. right before. And then it's right before you see uh, bef – it's at the start of this chapter that you okay. see it. Okay. But we don't get any other information about him until. So from there right. we are sent to we – are, we are summoned to Indal, but the only way to get to Indal is from Lothario. Which is where Rex is Rex's, from. Rex is, yeah. So you get you get this nice chance to go back to Rex's hometown. There's a lot of little character moments here in, mm -hmm. in Lotharia. Uh One of the best moments in the whole game is where Rex takes Pyra to, to his parents' his parents' grave. Yeah, yeah. That's just like tug at the heartstrings moment. He's like, uh -huh. I know you, where he's like, this is Pyra. Uh, we're on a journey together. I know you would like her. I was like, ah, and ah. it's it's. It's one of those things where it's like to any person who like doesn't get the sentiment sentimentalness, it's just you're talking to no one, and that's what they would think. And so it's one of those things where you have to just realize this connection, this this rather disconnect um, from Rex and his parents that he has to struggle through and go through um, with his parental relationship, and and seeing not having them to grow as he grows up you know not seeing him become an adult with pyra um um his new companion it's just kind of heartbreaking to rex that they are not there for this i don't know yeah it it, it it's truly a tug at the heartstring moments because mm -hmm. it's like you know imagine you know your parents are gone and this is the only form of communication you are going mm -hmm. to have with them and you've met someone who's truly special to you who will mm -hmm. never get a chance to meet them as mm -hmm. they were yeah and but it's just just this moment for rex it's a it's a nice moment for rex where mm -hmm. he's not like jumping you know haphazardly off a cliff into danger he's it's just this moment where you realize that, hey rex is also a fully you know realized character within this mm -hmm. world which I like that and, a lot. And there was, for me, an equally more sad, if not... It was equally as sad, if not more, cutscene a little bit afterwards as well with Anti-Corrine um, and Pyra. Yeah, uh, we finally realized who Rex is actually sending the money to mm -hmm. uh, through, from all his salvaging missions. And uh, yeah, that was a great moment where Pyra's like... Another one where she says, I, you know, people would be better off without me. People, just, people who get too close to me, they just die. The world would be better off without me. And uh, Antikorin says, uh, Rex, you, like, Rex needs you. You know, if it, you know, he'd find his way into trouble regardless of you. So it's better that he is with you. Well, no, that's not even the part that it's so, so huge about it for me is that that's not the dialogue. It's the, you know, Antikorin tells um, Pyra of Rex's parents and their backstory. Um, and know how he came to Fonset, um, how they died, and that she says that you know Rex has lost a lot of people in his in his lifetime, and and if you think you're going to bring more loss to him, um, which which is such like a, a I don't say 
it's that's the right idea. Pirate it will bring more loss to Rex, no matter what. And that's sort of why I think that's they should be. And then Integrants just sort of swerves and says, You're wrong, because it's like he he needs your strength. You need his strength. You can make it right, I guess, from this and not lose. It was kind of weird, but it's just like you need each other, despite, you know, you've both gone through a lot. Rex has gone through a lot. And you need each other's strengths. Hmm. And that was that was even more heart tugging. Because it's like Pyra doubted herself as being, you know, strong enough, strong enough for Rex, strong enough for the world, because she was going to cause a lot of loss. And and that sort that, that doubt really from Pirate was key. The the backstory from Rex was key, just making that just heart heart strung um cutscene for me. Right. So after, you know, the the you know the feels mm-hmm. we uh we, we it's time to actually head to end all uh yes. from here zeke shows up again and you yeah. actually get to battle zeke this time uh well you've battled no you battle him the other three times or two times as well. well like legitimately battle him and without some chaotic ending to the battle well you always depleted his health bar though yes but like oh. without him actually without a cutscene that just indicates his like Impending doom. Yeah, I mean, he still kind of falls off the bridge. Yeah, but that's, <laughs> despite. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's very much after. Like, yeah, yeah, all all bridges have been like, uh, you know, <laughs> mended. So yes, at this point, after this battle, Zeke joins the party, and uh, you find out that he's actually uh, the envoy. Prince. He's a prince, and he he's actually uh well he's a uh, he is a forsaken prince. He's yes. been cast out of the kingdom. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's actually working with the Praetor and mm-hmm. the Praetorium. Uh, and he is the one who is going to be doing all the introductions and whatnot uh, to the uh, to the Praetor. Mm-hmm. So from there, we finally go to Indal. And uh, Indal is a very unique titan, in which it seems like the only civilization within Indal is based around like the Praetorium. Mm-hmm. So you have your refugees from uh you know from Gormot mm-hmm. and uh, other assorted titans. You have uh the people who work for the Praetorium and I just want to say this is my least favorite part of the game was Indal. Uh there are so many allusions to uh Catholicism as a whole. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like it's, it's like this giant allegory where like the praetor is like the pope. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely supposed to be a religious um sort of capital, a religious capital, I guess. Where um there's well, the grand figure. It's essentially the Vatican. Yeah, mm-hmm, exactly. Yeah, definitely. So yeah, I mean, from here we're introduced to the praetor. He he's the guy who basically controls all the blades and how they are distributed. You know, to the world. And he even controls Malos. Yes. Even, yes. And, and I guess we haven't touched on this yet. Malos isn't a human. He's a blade himself, and not just a blade. He is an Aegis, just as Pyra and Mithra are. Exactly, um, yep. But whereas Mithra is, in Pyra, I guess, are light and good, Malos is darkness and destruction, which is clearly portrayed in their elements. Malos is a dark-type blade. Mithra is a light blade. And it's... Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we get the backstory about how uh, uh, 
the their corpuscles were found. Yeah, he talked about how he had climbed to the world tree. Mm-hmm. He brought the core crystals down. He active or he resonated with Malos. Malos. Uh, Malos seemed to have taken on the darker uh, personality traits of mm-hmm. the Praetor. And that's something we haven't touched on either. either uh, is that when a blade resonates with a driver, they they take on some subconscious uh, pieces Prince. of them. Uh, for Fon Lenore, she basically took on the entire form of her driver. She yes. looks exactly like her driver. Uh, for Malos, he took the dark inhibitions of the Praetor and became something twisted. Yes. So, yeah, like there's this slight thing where, like, it's the connect, the bond between Blade and Driver is deeper than, you know, just as a master weapon. Uh, relationship. They actually take the, the traits, physical and social, mental traits, emotional even too. Exactly. Uh, so we we've learned about the Praetor. Uh, while all this is going down, Jin and Malos uh, have infiltrated uh, this. Uh, they they found the ruins of an ancient civilization. Uh, that more ordained had found previously, mm-hmm. and basically there's this giant titan weapon, mm-hmm. and uh, Jen decides that they need to take that over so that they can cause havoc, which basically sp- sparks a war between uh, more ordained and Uriah. and Uriah. So because more ordained was in control of that, and then when Jin and Malos took the um, the ancient weapon. They sort of fired it against Araya, which, which you know, okay, do you think it's not Jin and Malos? That's clearly more ordained, and they just opened fire with us with a massive weapon. We can't take exactly. that stand You down. broke the peace treaty. Mm-hmm. Which it wasn't even them. But, yeah. And so, we okay. might even say that, despite there being a peace treaty, more ordained and Araya we've kind of been preparing for war this whole time as well. Exactly, yeah. There are, and there are hints of it. Mm-hmm. Throughout the course of the game, like you see, more ordain is actually recruiting anybody with driver capabilities mm-hmm. to join the military for the exactly. war. They're just trying to like fill their ranks up. Mm-hmm. Uh, which you actually come back to that. One of the characters that you see resonate with a blade actually shows up in yeah, a yeah, more in side quests. Runs. Yeah, he mm-hmm. has a lot of interesting side quests. Yeah, the one with his father. Yeah, yeah. When the how it tied into his father was really crazy. Yeah, and that yeah, was, was that's that location was used again, right or no? Uh, no, Maybe but I do. Or similar location. Yeah, or I think he shows up in Indol too, if I'm not mistaken. That guy could be Indol. He mistaken. might. I'm not I sure though. But uh, yeah, you've you, throughout the course of the game, you've noticed that uh, these two civilizations have been building their armies, preparing for war against one another, because this peace treaty is like paper mm-hmm. thin. It's, it's yeah. legitimately paper thin. At mm-hmm. any point, these two societies can go at war with one another. Mm-hmm. And this was the catalyst. This is what drains, brings out the forces. But uh, Rex, Pyra, and the gang, they decide that this is wrong. Nobody is nobody from Moor Ordain has fired that weapon, and Morag makes it a huge point to, to accost another general, saying, you were told not to activate this. You were told to cease operations. And he is like, I was doing what was best for my people. Uh, and that was a really, like, 
heavy moment for uh for more for Morag. Mm-hmm. You know, not only is it causing it's like one of those moments where her power is called into question and mm-hmm. her thought process like like what are you doing hanging out with these guys? You should be you know defending the kingdom. Uh, like I am, and she's like the way she's like you were told not to. You were given a direct order from the king, who turns out to be uh, Morag's little brother. Uh, so she has to participate because this is directly affecting her kingdom. Zeke wants to come because he's essentially an envoy of the Praetorium, and Rex just wants to do right. Mm-hmm. So him, Naya, and Tora, they all and Morag, yes. And more, what is the name of this titan? I'm forgetting as well. It had an interesting name, though. I liked the name of it. Like, uh, Temperantia? Temperantia, yeah. But some of the best music in the game is yeah, here, definitely. by the way. Um, um, and I'm not sure if it's before or after, but there's like a meeting where, you know, the, the Aegis, Mithra, Pyra, um, Zeke, and the leaders of Moradain and Araya talk about, like, what happened. Was that before yes, or after? Yes, that is after. So after, yes, okay. as after that, so they go to mm-hmm. Temperantia, mm-hmm. and they are fighting uh, the Judician, Judicium Titan, which is a the mil- you know the large uh, weaponized Titan. And it's uh, also worth mentioning that that's where we didn't even touch it with coal, but coal is a type of blade that we would refer to as a flesh eater, mm-hmm. which is half human, half blade, which was meant to sort of create immortality. Experiment during the war. Yeah, it's a blade that essentially eats a human heart to extend its life. Um, so really Which morbid. Also creates it into a monster that sort of dies. Like it's it's you know, Cole is is going to die sooner than any other blade. It doesn't even warrants more no warrants because like Cole is dying, and no other blade is going to really die. It's just that they're going to be reborn. Yeah, Cole yeah. Just dies. It's it's worse, if anything. I mean, he keeps his memories, but he's <laughs> gonna die permanently. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So during this uh, fight with the uh, with the Judicium Titan, uh, Jin mm-hmm. basically finds you know he escapes, uh, and Fan Lenore uh, makes herself ever so useful, mm-hmm. and uh, she basically plops you down onto the uh, Judicium Titan, and this this was one of the easiest boss fights in the whole game. But, it uh, was, for me, it was super easy, but I couldn't lower the health bar, and so I'm like, wait, what am I, I was attacking the wrong thing. Exactly. <laughs> I was attacking the monster, not the um thing behind exactly, it. Exactly, the, uh, the, co- the cables. Yeah, and that kind of screwed me up for a little while. It was super easy, though, even, like, no matter how much I attacked, I, I was, like, just attacking the monster itself for, like, way too long. I'm, like, I'm doing something wrong. Because I couldn't... But I never really died. It just went on for a very long time. <laughs> I don't know. Exactly. Okay. So, after you destroy the beast, Jin mm-hmm. comes out. And uh, this is where we get this interesting moment where Pyra is like, Why would you join up with Malos? You fought alongside Adam. You fought alongside me. Why have you taken up with Malos. And uh, Jin's reply is, uh, he, he basically says, your fault. You're the reason why. Mm-hmm. And uh, he basically tells, like, uh, he basically shows off that he himself is a flesh eater. 
in this moment. And it's also we got touched on um his his sort of backstory of being the strongest man in Torna. Um, Jin is the strongest man in Torna. Torna is a dead civilization. Uh, and so then he also talks about how you know blades sort of go on to to be reincarnated with no memories and what a struggle that is to be reborn with no memories of your previous whatever and that relates back to fan the norn's identity as well exactly uh in you know after all this is said and this done, monologuing after, yes, yeah he goes on to kill fan the norn and mm -hmm. like real death like yeah to steal it, to steal a line from uh uh what's that new show on netflix altered carbon he real deaths found the door by destroying her core crystal and, and not even that she can't even turn back into her core crystal after that when a blade normally dies or their driver dies they just plop into core crystals again that doesn't happen she's just a human carcass human corpse it's a dead yeah, body exactly and it turns out during her funeral Mithra seems to know mm -hmm. why. Mm -hmm. And she points out that all of Fan Lenore's core crystal is it's not in one piece. Yes. Like it is missing a piece of her core crystal. Yeah. All right. And then from there we uh where do we go? Well I'll also like to mention that, that that loss of Fan Lenorin is a big hit for in the, for Rex, because Rex doesn't want to lose people he cares about again, and Fan has just died, so that was another um, you know, big death for Rex. Not nearly as big as Vandom or someone, but definitely a, an impactful, you know, loss for Rex. You know, trying to change his way of thinking still. Yes, and uh, after the funeral, uh, that's that whole council scene where we see mm -hmm. like how the politics work within these societies uh, that you were speaking about, where you know Mithra. Uh, the king of Moradain and the queen of, of Uriah are all having to sit down to explain what's happening with the Praetor as like a uh, mediator. So mm -hmm. Yes. And I guess uh, Banner makes his return here uh, in an assassination attempt. And uh, you know, he wants to assassinate all these world leaders who have mm -hmm. come together uh, only for him to be stopped, but he's not stopped with before he kills the king mm -hmm. uh, of Moradain. Uh, Mia tells Dromark to distract everybody. Well, she resurrects she, the king. Exactly, yeah. She brings him back from, like, true death or whatever. Mm -hmm. the, yeah. Uh, which nobody calls into question, really. They kind of just accept it. Yeah, but then there's also the thing about um, a Gian. Which they kind of questioned that it, the only thing they really questioned was that Aegean, um, the king's um, blade, went into his core crystal form, which would only really happen if the king had died. died. Exactly, and uh, so yeah, Aegean yeah. will become uh, Morag's blade later on. Well, I I actually never. I'll, I won't know that actually about Aegean, but anyways. Did you not resonate him? I never resonated him. No. Oh man, he's one of the best blades in the game, especially I've, for uh, for Morag. I never, yeah, he's he's still a crystal. I wasn't, I wasn't sure what I wanted to really do with him, so I never really bothered even looking at him. I guess is he only able to resonate with Morag? Yeah, he's he's like I, uh, he, only with Morag. I've so. never even knew that. So he never even took a look at his core crystal. 
That's funny. Oh man. I just like I don't want to know. I don't want to figure out who I want to put him on. And I just never even got around to it. And I didn't even know he could only be Morag. Okay, that changes everything. I'm stupid. Alright, so after this, we are set to Tantal, the, the Kingdom of Snow. Yes, uh, it's also is... Zeke's um, homeland. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that titan is a... Uh... Gendu similar... is the name of the titan. Yes. And, uh... It's similar to Araya, but it's cold-blooded or something. And, it, yeah, and so that's like why a... it hurts. The ether flow of blood in it is slow, which creates low temperatures. Which basically means they have no crops so yes. this is a dying nation, um, mm-hmm. and this is where the where Adam was said to have gone after you know the mm-hmm. Great Ages War. Uh, this is yes. where he took home, and that Zeke is supposedly uh, of his a distant blood, res- blood relative. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we get there. Zeke, you know, brings them to his father, the king. King turns out to be a huge douchebag. Captures everybody. Throws him in tries prison, but takes Pyra. Pyra. Tries to kill Pyra. With the giant uh, laser, mind you. That's oh, that laser is too. Mm. The gang, you know, the crew, you know, Rex and the crew get free of their prison cell. Mm-hmm. Uh, thanks to Poppy being an artificial blade, they cannot restrict her ether flow. Because and more, kind of, planned this. She planned ahead exactly. for that, which was just shows like what a brilliant uh, mm-hmm. tactician Morag is. She's like, she's kind of like the Piccolo of a. Uh, of the uh, the Xenoblade team, mm-hmm. she knows exactly what she's doing of everything, and she never like goes too trusting for this king she's never met. She's so she's like prepared just in case. She's very observant to know that they would need that specifically. It was shown like she just looked at the walls and she's like, okay, yeah, we're gonna need you to store some ether poppy. And, and she's she knows her stuff, and she's very observant and very smart about it. Exactly. So from there, after you know. The gang breaks out. They head to go to see the pirate, but we are treated to this cut scene, a flashback cut scene of the king speaking with Zeke, in which he basically reveals that their family is a it's bloodline a of usurpers. Yes. They were a bunch of common folk who... Who sort of just rose to the occasion and said, we're exactly. Adam's lineage. Follow us. Well, yeah, they basically use like, like the, the, the cover of war... And the mm-hmm. confusion that war leaves behind yeah. to basically say, hey, we're the royal bloodline. Uh, follow us. Turns yeah. out to be all BS, you know. Mm-hmm. And Zeke, you know, the guy who has the most to benefit from this lie, rejects it. He's like, mm-hmm. no, this is, this is wrong. That's not like, how you lead people. Exactly. His, his nation is dying. Exactly. You know, going back to the, they don't have crops. It's they don't have the ability to get food on their own Titan, yet the government, the king, the whatever, restricts them from leaving, really. And so they aren't allowed to go to other Titans for food. Which so creates all a the huge food, black market. Yes. So all the food that you describe is on the black market. <laughs> yeah, and that's the, like really the only thing keeping that society afloat mm-hmm. is, the, is yeah. that black market. Mm-hmm. And just this brilliant thing where I, I just love that moment where like Zeke rejects his you mm-hmm. know his father because well, like, he's always rejected him though most well, and, well, I mean but he rejects like the lie mm-hmm. like yeah even though that there's a benefit for him like you know yeah. obviously he's like you know he could be king he could rule mm-hmm. and ultimately he could change this as king he could change this world or mm-hmm. this nation 
Yeah. But he rejects that. He's like, no, I'm going with these people because they are who really need me right now. I- and also, the the hopes of Elysium to save his people on Elysium were, were more important than just him saving as king. Exactly. You know, he just rejects his father in this great, brilliant cutscene. Uh, his father literally, again, tries to kill Pyro with the laser. The team manages to save her. Uh, and is it okay? Getting by, pretty much throws self destruct. Exactly. Yeah. Pretty much after that laser fire, uh, they have ninety minutes, which I spent like six days or longer taking full advantage of those ninety minutes, just grinding things out. Exactly. They're like, yeah, you have ninety minutes before this Titan goes so deep that you it know, kills or, itself. To air pressure. Exactly. All the people will that dude. Okay. We have to later on. I want to talk about how BS that is uh-huh. uh, because of this little place called Martha. And also, like the whole game is very story driven, and it sort of tries to lead you from one cutscene to the next very, very quickly. So it wants to get you through the story as fast as possible, but there's never a sense of urgency. Even when it says you have ninety minutes until we all die. There's no urgency ever, and I don't like Yeah, there's that no timer floating in above you. No. There's no, like, which, which is mass. appreciated, because, you know, maybe I don't want to just progress the story. But, like, also, it just feels weird that I could just hang, do grinding, side quests, when, you know, this this tan tall nation is going to die. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. So, basically, the only way to stop uh, Genbu from uh, falling to its, you know, eminent doom is to reestablish the connection between Pandora, who is Zeke's blade, mm-hmm. and Gambu, the Titan, uh, because she can't speak to the Titan right now because its brain has been frazzled by shooting yes. off that cannon. Yeah. Uh, so they have to go to the bottom of a of the of a tantal, of Gambu, well, yeah. and reach its core, which is his mm-hmm. brain. They, which oh my god, this was so long to get. Yeah, there. it is so long. Yeah. But once you get to the bottom of it, you set things right. The team is attacked by uh, Akos, Mikhail, mm-hmm. Petroka, Jen, and Malos. Everybody from Torna has come to this mm-hmm. party. And we have this amazing fight scene where uh, not even using foresight can Rex actually stand up to Jin's light speed. And he has Rex in, in a position where he's like, I'm going to kill you. This is going to happen. You are going to die. You have lost. This has all been futile. We are taking this girl. Mm -hmm. Pyra, out of nowhere, takes possession of, uh, not Ophion, the other, what is the name of her, of the other, uh, the the mech. The mech. Um, the, the, not the, Ages treasures, but like they're, they're sort of things that the ages control. There's Ophi on the other one, right? Yes, yeah, um, I know what you're saying now. Um, the artifice, the yeah, artifice. artifice, yes, okay, yeah. And I'm trying to remember what the other artifice is. I'm looking it up because it's gonna bother me if I don't remember its name. Okay, Aeon, yeah, Aeon, Aeon. All right, so Pyra, who is, mm-hmm. 
her artifice is Ophion, which was the, yes. the cloud serpent that we'd seen earlier at the that tree. attacked them when they went into a riot. Exactly. Uh, Pyra takes control of Mithra's artifice, which is uh, Aeon. Mm-hmm. And that shouldn't be allowed to happen because Pyra has Ophion, Mithra has Aeon, and they which... separately. But mm-hmm. she, she uses like all of her power to control Aeon and say, I will kill myself if you don't leave them alone. I will 100% kill myself and you won't have me and whatever you're planning cannot come to pass. Mm-hmm. Malos takes this threat seriously and so does Jin. And they said, fine. So they don't kill Rex in the party. And they just take uh, Pyra with them and they go. Rex faints. Mm-hmm. Awakens like five days later at the mm-hmm. hotel. Yeah. They're told what happens. Rex becomes like super doom and gloom, like emo. Mm-hmm. I couldn't yeah. save her. I couldn't save her. So I'm, I'm not strong enough. And it's this whole thing where everybody takes a shot at Rex in this moment. <laughs> like everyone, like Bridget slaps him, Nia punches him. And then you think Poppy's about to bust his ass wide open. And then Poppy, like, pull at the heartstrings. No. Pirate does not want to see Rex hurt. Poppy, Poppy, and and Tora look up to Rex. We we are not real drivers. We are not real blades. Blah blah blah. And I'm like, damn it, Poppy, stop it. Just hit me and be done with it. So Poppy gets Rex back in order. Mm-hmm. The team decides that uh, Rex needs to truly become the uh, Aegis driver. Driver. Mm-hmm. The Aegis driver and uh. Uh, Gramps uh, decides that he's going to make himself truly useful by saying, like, like, I have the critical information that you have all been seeking throughout the course of this game, but I haven't said anything up until this point. Yeah. Uh, what's it called? Uh, Ex Machina? <laughs> oh, yeah. Just a, little, just a little Ex Machina going on there. So, they all have to go back to Lefteria, and this is where they explain the beginning of the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, they go to the uh, the pillar of the uh, the pillar of Adam, and yes. they uh, it can only be opened by somebody from Lift Area, mm-hmm. uh, which is the whole reason why uh, they, they needed Rex in the first. Needed, yeah. Exactly, because Adam had hid Pyro away in one location, but he had hid her true blade away in another, mm-hmm. uh, which takes you down to the. Basically, the 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 innards of the archipelago, the Lefteria mm-hmm. archipelago, and a, nobody who has entered this uh, cavern has ever come back out. So mm-hmm. there's a real danger here. And once all the characters here, they realize they are weakened, mm-hmm. severely weakened. Uh, it is in this moment that we uh, are given Zeke's backstory mm-hmm. about how Zeke actually is a blade eater. Mm-hmm. Uh, that he actually has a piece of Pandoria keeping him alive. Uh, yeah. Similar to how uh, Jin and Cole have pieces of human drivers in mm-hmm. their system. So yeah. it is a, or basically it's how Rex and Pyra exist, where Rex has. But it's more of a coexistence than vice versa with them. It's more exactly. they have a bit of each other, whereas, you know, um, Zeke has a bit of P- Pandoria. And Cole has a bit of human. Yeah, they never actually implicitly state who Cole's driver was. 
Well, you know, they did. The the Praetor. The Praetor is Cole's driver. But oh, you're right, you're right. It's just weird to think that he is a flesh eater and the Praetor is his driver. The Praetor's a, got a lot of messed up things. Oh, yeah. I, he can't even explain himself, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, but, yeah. Uh, yeah, so we get Zeke's backstory about how uh, they were attacked by, like, marauders, and mm -hmm. they almost killed Zeke. And Pandora really had this moment where she freaked out because you can tell that Pandora is, in fact, in love with Zeke. Uh, mm -hmm. It is not uncommon for Blades and Drivers to have Maybe. this kind of relationship. Mm -hmm. um, and she doesn't want to forget Zeke. She doesn't. Mm -hmm. She doesn't want to return to her core and forget him. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's where the Praetor comes back into play. Uh, he sees this and he he takes pity on Pandora. Yeah. And uh, he infuses a piece of her into Zeke. Yeah. Uh, we also find out Nia's backstory here. Yes. Uh, where we not only find out that Nia is a blade, but she is in fact a flesh-eating blade. Uh, mm -hmm. She has the a piece of her sister. Yeah. Or what they call her sister. But uh, her uh, Nia's backstory is complex. Yeah. Uh, but we we find out that Nia is a blade, and not only is she a blade, but she is like the most badass blade in the whole game, mm -hmm. and the most useful blade in the whole game. And this is the moment where I found redemption in the character, uh, because I was like, "Hey, I don't hate you anymore because you are useful. You are moving the story along." Mm -hmm. And it, I enjoyed, I enjoyed that uh, the fact that we get to see Nia become a more powerful, useful thing in this game yes. than other than what she had been. Uh, so once once you do that, Rex gets the true blade, and it dissolves. Yeah. And he just decides, hey, we're going to go save uh, Pyra and Mithra without this. And they go rescue Pyra and Mithra in... Uh, what is this name of this? So many cities. Yeah. So many cities. Ah. Ah, I was wrong. It's not Aeon, it's Siren. Oh, shoot. Okay, the Cliffs of Moritha. That's what we are. That's what okay, we are. Yes. Yes, so they go to the Cliffs of Moritha. And we get this cool revelation. Uh, you you have your first true fight with uh, Malos, mm -hmm. like just Malos. Where words reveal that Malos is a Monado. Yeah, which is like Monado. Oh, no way. Yeah, which is another nice little tie into the original Xenoblade game, mm -hmm. which is pretty badass. Uh, yeah. That fight was difficult for me because I I'm stupid and I accidentally unequipped my entire party. And I was just oh. fighting him as Rex. Oh. I didn't even know that was a thing you could do. <laughs> and I almost won. Oh, well. I f once I finally figured my life out, put things uh -huh. back in order. Okay. But uh, that fight happens, and you think that you've actually kind of killed Malos for a bit, mm -hmm. but no. Uh, he comes back, and you find out that he's been torturing Pyra uh, and Mithra. While they're in like this dreamlike state, he restores his own core crystal because his core crystal was damaged during the uh, Aegis War mm -hmm. by Pyra. Yes, restores his core crystal. Mm -hmm. 
Oh uh, yeah, my by Mithra, and uh, when he does that, he actually takes control of Mithra's Titan Siren, mm-hmm. and uh, Pyra has a choice: she can either die, or she could fight alongside Rex. And Rex is like, "I can't do this without you. I need you." And Mithra and Pyra finally decide that they want to be with Rex. They love the world and they want to protect the world. Mm-hmm. So we finally see Mithra's true form, mm-hmm. which is awesome. The green hair, the awesome costume, the, the like the Tron costume is what yeah. I like to call it. And it's it's just funny to think too, because Mithra is Pyra's true form already. It's, it's sort of like just breaking the limits of power again and again. Yeah, it's like a yeah. Super Saiyan God. Yeah, almost. Yeah, totally. So you, know, you have this power cap that's established, you know. She is the Aegis. There's nothing more powerful than her and Malos. They are the two equals of power. Well, no, Malos is a Minato. He's going to go, woo, of power. But then true form Mithra, boom, also just blows the cap out of the water. Exactly. And uh, honestly, epic fight scene culminates mm-hmm. in them destroying uh, the battlefield that they're on and yes. falling into... Mortha beneath the cloud sea. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it turns out that Mortha is like the ancient ruins of like our civilization. Yeah. Like our real world civilization. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The world that you and I currently yeah. live in. Yeah. It's. Yeah. Just, it's just like real. And it's like, what the hell is happening here? Yeah. I don't understand either. Just. I mean. To an extent, it could have if they treated a bit tied into um to X a bit more, but I don't know. Yeah. Well, um. But yeah. So we're in Mortha. Uh, mm-hmm. Jin has been severely damaged with uh during the fight between uh Mithra, uh Super Mithra and <laughs> and uh Rex. Uh, but they decide that uh they're gonna save him while he's being attacked by this weird. Uh, semi-blade looking thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and the whole party is separated. No, so, but it is here that we find out that Rex is now the Aegis driver, so he has control over any blade mm-hmm. that his party has resonated with. Uh, so you go on your quest, uh, with to to rec- you know to find everybody in the party, find mm-hmm. a couple awesome unique beasts, make your way to you know. Get everybody back together and make your way to the mm-hmm. base of the world tree. Yes. This is where things get weird, man. So they yes. get to the bottom of the world tree and the inside of the tree is mechanical. Yeah. So it's not like any tree I've ever seen grow naturally from the earth. Exactly. So the you know, they decide to, you know, Pyra or Mithra finds an elevator within mm-hmm. the tree. You know, you gradually progress up the uh the tree you get to about the midpoint mm-hmm. at the midpoint of the tree all out war is happening because mm-hmm. the praetor has taken control of the titan indol and has taken it to the world tree and the members of torna are mm-hmm. also there trying to get to the world tree so what I love about this game is that everybody is going to the world tree. They're yeah. all trying to get to Elysium to meet the architect, the mm-hmm. creator of this world. They all have different reasons. 
Yes. So the Praetor wants to meet his creator and kind of destroy his creator. Yeah. Malos wants to meet his creator and destroy his creator. Pyra and them want to meet their creator and ask questions. Yeah. Now, you have two groups that have the same goal, but because of the ideals that each of these groups has, mm-hmm. they can't join forces because no. the Praetor is trying to he's trying to fundamentally establish his religion, essentially, as the driving force, as the cause. Like, we're going to destroy the world, but it has to be the church that does it. And <laughs> Tornas, like, we're going to destroy the world, but it has to be done by Blaze because humans are corrupt. And, you know, Rex and the gang, they literally just... They just want to save the world. Yeah. From these two opposing groups who each have a common goal but cannot work together because of ideology. Yeah. That is just brilliant storytelling. That mm-hmm. is what really made me appreciate this because here in the in the middle of the world tree, you see these two groups with clashing ideals coming to all out war and mm-hmm. the Praetor has taken control of numerous titans. He brings out more ordain. He brings out uh Gambu. He brings out a uh, Indol, mm-hmm. and they are all attacking the uh, the Torna ship, mm-hmm. which turns out to be a Gundam transformer, <laughs> and and starts literally going like hand to hand combat against the Titan when he's like just beating the crap out of the Indol Titan. I was like, oh my god, mm-hmm. I don't even know what's happening anymore, but I love it. Yeah. Uh, Rex and them are like, we have to get to the top. We have to stop all of this. They go to the top. They, you know, they go back. They get back on track. They start going to the top. Uh, they finally get to Elysium after, and it is not what was promised. No, it is a wasteland. Mm-hmm. Uh, the coolest thing about it, though, is that the top of the world tree is mm-hmm. outer space. Yeah. They're in legitimately in outer space, yeah. at the top of the world tree, and I'm like, oh, this game doesn't even make sense anymore. No, but yeah, they find Elysium, and it is a wasteland. Mm-hmm. They start going, they start scouring the wasteland, trying to find any signs of hope. And you, can, at this point, you can tell Rex has been broken by this. Yeah, like it was supposed to be a salvation for him and everyone in the world of these dying titans, of of the starving people, of. It was a promise that was meant to be saving the world. You can't save the world if everything that you thought you had of hope and fertile soil and whatnot is all dead. It's all exactly. wasted. So this this fundamentally breaks Rex. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he doesn't quite give up. But, like, he's, mm-hmm. you could tell he's not in it anymore. Uh, they, you know, they find their way to a church. And they enter the church. They find, like, a secret passage mm-hmm. that under the church uh yeah. and once under the church things get really weird rex yeah. is separated from the party and <coughs> has to battle all of his friends yeah. they've like all turned on him and they're like this is your fault you it's like you're you're we all believed in you and you led mm-hmm. us to nothing mm-hmm. so rex must fight his way through the party once he does so he ends up the last trial he has is he is in a he's back at a he's back in Lefteria in his hometown, um, with Pyra and Mithra. Mm-hmm. 
but their personalities have swapped. Yeah. And this is it. This is the final straw. Rex can't take it anymore. He just breaks down. He starts crying. He's like, what have I done wrong? And he's, he's just it's, he's just broken. Mm-hmm. And out of nowhere, Pyra goes, Father, I think that's enough. It turns out this was all a simulation that showed all of the, you know, the members' true inner feelings. Mm-hmm. Like, it's like the darkest parts of them, their fear. Mm-hmm. And yeah. they are shown this by the architect, who is the same voice actor as Shulk, by the way. Yeah, yeah. About that. Just a little tidbit there. Uh, mm-hmm. Same same voice actor show, which I'm like, oh, you you can't get away with this. But uh, from here we find out what the architect is and who he is and what he has done, which leads us to the point where we have to start making connections between this game and Xenoblade Chronicles. Mm-hmm. So all of Xenoblade Chronicles led, leads up to finding out who Zansa really mm-hmm. is. Zansa is the big bad. Yeah. He, Event he uh, essentially is the embodiment of uh, Makanis, the yeah. Makanis in that game. Mm-hmm. Zansa is a god. Yeah. Um, but we find out about uh, what is his true name. I shouldn't forget his real name. Same. Uh, this is why we keep our notes open. The architect. And this is why we have editing. (laughs) Klaus. All right, cool. Klaus. All right. So the architect starts telling his backstory. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the architect was originally a scientist named Klaus. Mm -hmm. Uh, In the top of the world tree, in outer space, what we've established is Elysium. Mm-hmm. Is that. The uh the the world tree is actually under attack by you know a group that we're never really told who is who. Uh, yeah. And they have they have a defense mechanism in place that they need to activate. And the only person that can activate it is Klaus, but he is doing something else. Klaus has found a way to kind of create a new universe. Mm-hmm. Or so he thinks. And he's like, only God had this power. Now mankind is one step closer to being gods. Activates this power. Mm-hmm. Creates this new universe. But in doing so, destroys the old one. Yeah. Killing. Well, not really killing, but sending. Well, killing a good number of people and sending a lot of people away. Including half of himself. Mm-hmm. So they get sent away to a new universe. That new universe is actually the universe of Xenoblade 1. Yeah. And the half of him that is gone is Zansa. Well, is what will mm-hmm. become Zansa. Yeah. And the half of him that remained is what we know as the architect. Mm-hmm. So he starts explaining that I created, you know, in my grief, I created this universe to correct the mistakes blades essentially are a byproduct of that and humans are all evolved from blades and it's so 
confusing, but it's like, mm-hmm. essentially like he's created this new universe because he wants to fix the mistakes that he's made. Mm-hmm. But he himself is dying. Mm-hmm. Um, and he knows that his other half is dying as well. Mm-hmm. And he knows that once his other half dies, he will die. His other half being Sansa. And yes. once we, uh, he explains this. Pyra thanks, uh, you know, Rex thanks the architect for creating them. And they go off to go stop Mallows. Uh, and I love this part because in this moment we hear Shulk's voice saying, Today we will take down a god. And I'm like, holy fuck! <laughs> holy fuck! Because this whole game, there have only been little, little connections. No. Mm-hmm. And right here, the whole shit is blown out of the water. This is a true sequel to Xenoblade 1. They are exist. Not only is it a sequel, but they are happening parallel to it. Yeah, at the same time. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So when the shit is hitting the fan for Shulk, the shit is hitting the, the fan, fan for Rex. Like they are parallel, simultaneously happening. Mm-hmm. The architect's death will happen at the exact same, same moment, moment that Zansa's as Zansa. death. Mm-hmm. That is uh-huh. fuckery. But yeah. I call fuckery on Nintendo because I'm like, you lied. You said there were no connections. This is BS. I went into this wholeheartedly. If I had remembered, I would have replayed Xenoblade 1. And now I have to go back and be like, what is different here? Then there are some differences uh, mm-hmm. between the backstory that Klaus tells and the backstory that Zansa would reflect on. Um, mm-hmm. And I have a theory about this. And I just want to briefly touch on this. Mm-hmm. The story that Klaus tells or the architect tells, the planet, you know, the world tree is under attack mm-hmm. uh, by an unknown force. <clears throat> but the story that Sansa tells there is no such attack taking place when he creates this new universe. Also, mm-hmm. when Sansa is telling the story, there is no like, there, like he tells us, like, only God. I, I'm literally going to do this. He said, only God could create planets or create a universe. Now mm-hmm. man is one step closer to God. But mm-hmm. when the architect tells a story, it's more sinister. Only God. Could create a universe, but now man is one step closer to God. There's a sense of arrogance mm-hmm. when the architect tells the story versus when Sansa tells the story. Mm-hmm. And I have my theory is that because the architect is remorseful over the destruction of the universe, he's telling a more accurate version of what went into creating these two parallel universes. Mm-hmm. Whereas Sansa, he was, you know. He's the evil embodiment of, of Klaus, and he doesn't feel that same remorse. So when he tells a story, it wasn't about arrogance. It was literally just about, I'm creating a universe. And I, it's just as minor detail, or it just could be that they just wanted to change it up. But I, in my, you know, in my head canon, that's why mm-hmm. the stories are, they, even though the cutscenes are almost identical, they're slightly different. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and can... One thing that I, that's been bugging me is X in this whole thing, and I almost have to wonder if if you know we see at the at the base of the the cliffs at the very bottom of those cliffs is our current civilization. Could that be um, planet Mira from X, or maybe Earth that was destroyed in the beginning of X? And that's just that's what's been bugging me because clearly they're all connected, and see, there's I the no pond, there's all the stuff, and it's gotta be. 
But it's also X is just the weird outlier still. See, in my brain, in my head canon, X is the universe that Shulk creates once he becomes new guy. Okay. That's how I kind of see it. And I know like they have to leave the world that Shulk created, but he created yeah. a universe. You know, it's his universe. Yeah, all right. So yeah. they're moving to a different part of his I don't know. It's all right. There, there needs to be a better way to connect X into the yeah, I mean, you know, but in three or zero bit X two, you know, and then I don't know. It's, oh, oh, all right. So finally, we move into this whole battle with uh, uh, Malos, Malos and Rex, mm -hmm. where Malos has taken control of Aeon, which is the biggest uh, artifice of them all. Yes, and it's a great fight scene. Um, he sends out all these other mechs or artifices at you and you mm -hmm. you you kind of destroy them that's not a hard boss fight but uh mm -mm, no it's it's pretty satisfying yeah uh, at it's that moment similar, it's almost similar to kid Icarus uprising those final bosses where it's like it's not that hard it's like the first half is kind of hard and then like you get like the weapon is just like you blast him it's like all you had to do was blast him um um hades it's all you had to do was that, but it feels so satisfying after all that build-up and all it this badassery that Pit, Pit has acquired. Um, so it was very reminiscent of that to me. Yeah. But it's just, so, it just feels good, even though it's super easy. Exactly. Uh, so after Mouse has defeated Klaus, mm -hmm. the architect, Sansa, all, mm -hmm. you know, they all die simultaneously yeah. because they're all one of the same. Mm -hmm. And the world tree starts coming down. And it's going to destroy everything. It's going mm -hmm. to destroy the planet if they don't if they don't do something about it. So Pyra tells them that there's a way to stop it, but they have to go down. So mm -hmm. they you know they believe Pyra, they all go down. Turns out Pyra's lying. Uh, she actually sent them to like the shuttle bay so that they could escape. But before yeah. they do that, she actually stops Poppy and tells Poppy she whispers something to Poppy. Uh when they get to the shell bay, Pyra destroys the bridge and stands on the opposite side. Rex mm -hmm. wants to go save her. His hook shot isn't long enough. He asks Poppy to fly him over. Poppy says she can't because she promised Pyra that she wouldn't because she didn't want because Pyra doesn't want Rex to die, you know, there. And nobody wants Pyra to die, but they don't have a choice. She has to stay there and destroy yeah. the world tree from within. Which mm -hmm. this emotional scene where like Zeke shows that like he's a real OG dude. He's like he's like this is the woman you love. Respect her choices. You have mm -hmm. to do this for her. It's it sucks, but this is what being a grown up is all about. Mm -hmm. Rex is heartbroken, but eventually realizes that the right thing to do is get on the get on a plane with his friends and leaves. Mithra takes control of the plane and sends them out of the world tree. They go back down towards the the Earth. Upon re-entry, the damn shuttle blows up, and everybody's falling to their death. Uh, but Ursula, uh grabs, because I can't say his name, grabs decides that it's time to revert back to his true giant form and mm -hmm. flies everybody. But before the world tree collapses, Klaus says something along the lines of, there's one last thing I can do. Right? So as they're floating back, you know, on Assertus back, they start to notice that all the titans are gathering uh, into the water 
and forming a giant landmass. Mm-hmm. And that Elysium was there all along. Mm-hmm. It was the Elysium is essentially the ref, the reformations of the Titans back into the landmass. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have this moment where like the gang is like happy that they finally made it to Elysium. It, it was here all along. Um, but Rex is still kind of pinned with the pain that Pyra and Mithra had mm-hmm. to die in mm-hmm. order for this to happen. He's holding on to his fraction of the core crystal that was once keeping you know, him alive, and he has it there, and it starts to glow. Then Pyra and Mithra come back down, and they're all with their group again, and that's it. We have a happy ending where mm-hmm. none of the primary characters in the party had to die. Mm-hmm. I love this game, man. I really yeah, do. Yeah, it is. It's great, mind-blowing end. It's just like the first, but even more so because they tied it in and just out of nowhere. But it's, it's you're right. It, the reflection you do afterwards is, well, it's very real. And, and it's, it's... Well, the only... Me, mm-hmm. go, no, well, for me, I was going to say that the reflection came upon the realization that Klaus um, or that uh, the architect and Zansa are the same. Or one of the same. Yes. yes. Mm-hmm. That's, that's where definitely... my reflection really... Ha- mm-hmm. That's where the reflection happened for me because yeah. I'm like, these two parallel universes were... So basically, when Shulk takes control of the Monado, that's... Mm-hmm. In that exact moment, Rex... Has, has awakened Pyra. Exactly. He's resonated with Pyra. He's become her driver. Mm-hmm. Like, you realize that these two stories have been moving at the exact mm-hmm. same pace. Yeah. Everything that Rex and it and then the sim then you start to notice the similarities between mm-hmm. Rex and Shulk a lot more, where Rex has the foresight or I'm sorry Shulk has the foresight. Rex also has it, but to a lesser extent. Mm-hmm. But Rex probably has the more powerful blade mm-hmm. of the two of them. Yeah, and you start to see their parallels, and it's really really good, and it's a lot of reflection. Mm-hmm. And after all that reflection, I was thinking to myself, I was like, which game do I like better? Uh, I, ultimately, it comes down to I. I thought Xenoblade had the Xenoblade Chronicles Two had the. Mm-hmm. I actually enjoyed the story more in Xenoblade Chronicles Two because of the way it ties those two games together. Mm-hmm. And I think I would have to agree on that. Although, at the end of the day, I still think the best game was X, and I'm, they are all phenomenal. But X is just so fun to play it, it had gameplay down the only things that grinding was a lot worse in x and i wish kind of extent that x had um a similar layout to the combat as two had because two really streamlined a lot of the combat um which mm. yeah and, and i think xenoblade chronicles uh uh two has some great combat uh, yeah it does all of the games have great combat it, it really builds on on uh x's combat um, mm. but and, and graphically, this is one of the most beautiful games on the Switch. It's mm-hmm. I think the only game that I would rate higher than this graphically is Odyssey. Mm-hmm. Uh, but not all the time. Like there are parts of Xenoblade Chronicles Two that look better than Odyssey. Uh, yeah. But again, like again, I spent a lot of time reflecting after I beat this game. Just yeah, it, it like got me, man. I'm like, damn, man. Like that the way they made those two games connect, like. The fact that Zansa 
and the architect are one of the same. Like that wasn't something mm. I was expecting. I wasn't like, especially since because Nintendo told us that. Like, yeah. Don't expect, yeah, don't expect anything. Like, yeah, like, you might like, some subtle things like no pawns. No pawns exist, and that's it. That's the real only connection. And, and you know, when they announced two, I'm like, all right, it's I sort of had an idea that there might be something similar to what they actually did end up doing. And Nintendo sort of said, no, nah, they're completely different, just like X was. Okay, sure. And I'm, I, because uh, like, I don't know. I'm kind of yeah. glad that they threw, sort of threw that red herring, though, at least for my sake, because I'm the guy who somehow always guesses the ending, and I would have totally guessed it had they not told me it wasn't how it ended, pretty much. There wasn't, they weren't connected. So I'm the guy who always figures it out. Well, <laughs> I when I play a game like this, like a sequel, mm-hmm. I I kind of like to go back and revisit mm-hmm. you know, the, the first. Uh, or, yeah, or, I, uh, halfway through my playthrough, I rebought um 3D on 3DS. Yeah. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I would have gone back and replayed this game on the Wii because, mm-hmm. you know, I just would have enjoyed. First off, I would have enjoyed playing it again. I mean, yeah. I've played that game since it first came out on the Wii. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, but it is a game that kind of sticks with you. Definitely, um, yes. Just like this one does, it'll stick with mm-hmm. you. Like you'll mm-hmm. you'll think about it for a while afterwards. But it would have been nice because the I would have liked to have a refresher course on that cutscene where, like that the the cutscenes where they where Zansa is explaining. I'm Damn. sure you could find someone who's put them side by side on YouTube. And, well, I did. I found somebody. I found it on YouTube. I watched, yeah, uh, and that's how I was able to to really tell the difference between um, mm-hmm. like the, you know, the version of the, the arrogant version and the exactly yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was like, and like I said, it could have been just the developers saying or Microsoft saying basically, hey, we want to just differentiate them a little bit, mm-hmm. uh, just fiddle around with it. But in my head canon, I see that as you're hearing the same story, but from the perspective of an evil side mm-hmm. and a somewhat benevolent, benevolent, benevolent side. side. Benevolent mm-hmm. side. There we go. I got it eventually. <laughs> like you're hearing like the two different versions of it from these two, you know, very differing personalities. Yeah. Uh, and I, and I thought that's, and that, that to me is like where the brilliance is. It's like, it could be an unintentional consequence, mm-hmm. but in my mind, it's, hundred percent intentional. That was the goal. They wanted people mm-hmm. to take notice of that. Now that's the problem. If somebody hasn't played Xenoblade One, they are missing out on. Yeah, and, and it's worth mentioning that a lot of the Xenoblade games don't. I don't want to say sell well because they, they are very popular, good games, but they release at very, very bad times and thusly suffer in terms of sales. And even if it's not a bad time for the console. The console itself isn't a good console where, in the Wii use case, X is phenomenal, but no one plays you like Chronicles X because it's on the Wii U. No one had a Wii U. Exactly. And that was the really big drawback from that. And so it's like, you have Xenoblade Chronicles, which released on the end of the Wii's life cycle when no one wanted a Wii anymore. You have X, which released on the Wii U. And then you have the entire like Xeno Saga games, Xeno Gear, from the previous, before it was like a Nintendo thing, were all released at very poor times <laughs> still and that's why they're also unknown you know every, a lot more people know xenoblade than xenogear but that's only because those games were released at very weird poor times as well this is the only time where a xenoblade game has been released in a time where people are paying attention to the console oh exactly well and it doesn't hurt that this is like the console is like mm-hmm. forcing people to buy it like for we discussed it earlier 14 point 
you know, nine, eight million years. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Near, you know, best console, perfect console to release it on. And it came out at the right time, too. It's like at mm-hmm. the tail end of the year where, like, yeah. all the other big games have been played already. Mm-hmm. It's just, it just perfect timing. Yeah. But it, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. But, man, let's uh let's start wrapping things up. What are your uh, final thoughts on Xenoblade Chronicles 2? Um, oh, sorry, I get, okay, sorry. Um, it was, it was an experience. You know, after, after playing 1 and playing X, I was, knew I was in for something grand. Um, in terms of the actual environments, I thought they were probably smaller than, than X, well, definitely X and from the first one. I thought the environments were all kind of smaller, um, which was kind of disappointing. Um, but the story was definitely a great build on the first, how it tied in these multiple universes, um, Zansa and the Architect, as you said, that sort of whole, whoa, they're parallel going at the same time, um, are, are super cool. And it's a great game. I know a lot of people are like missing out on it still, just because they're not JRPG fans, um, which is sad, but you know, if it's not your thing, it's not your thing. But they are beautiful games. And a lot of people, I, I think you're right, are going to miss out on that sort of connection too, for it being uh, just... You know, it ties in so well with the first. You can't not... You, you lose something when you don't play the first, definitely. But it's... the Gameplay-wise, you'll you'll more than make up for it. It's a fantastic RPG that you can just have an RPG experience with as well. Yeah. For me, I said it when we started this conversation. There are not a whole lot of games that I've played in my life that have made me truly reflect on, mm-hmm. on the story and mm-hmm. the characters the way I have with this game. Um, I've played a lot of great games in 2017. Mm-hmm. Uh, Breath of the Wild, Mario Odyssey, ARMS. Mm-hmm. None of them had the... They, none of them came close to being as story-driven and as mm-hmm. like moving as Xenoblade yeah. Chronicles 2 has been for me. I mean, the Xenoblade Not X series has been very story-based, and they've had great stories out of, like, the two. <laughs> but, and so I knew I was getting a grand, awesome story um, when I when I went into it, and I was very p- pleased with what I got. It's true. Mm-hmm. But alright, guys, we've gone on super long, yeah. and uh, we've spoiled yeah, yeah, we really yeah, we, but we only covered every single the entire plot from beginning to end. Exactly. I mean, but we got we got to we got to say our piece. I mean, yeah, because there's was, a lot to just talk about the story. A lot of thoughts. So much stuff that we truly just glossed over. We glossed, yeah. mm-hmm. like for a spoiler cast, like we glossed over a, a a lot, and yeah, that's because I you know other than the biggest connection in the game, I, I there was no way we were getting around not spoiling that. I'm no. sorry, guys. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I mean, like, it was so good. But I'm I'm glad to have beaten that game. I'm glad to have participated uh, mm-hmm. in this deep dive. And like I said, uh, we are going to be working on another scripted series, uh, mm-hmm. one that really explores Xenoblade a lot more thoroughly than what we've done mm-hmm. here today. Was mi- mostly about just talking about our initial thoughts, how we felt about the game, and the story. And, yes. Yeah. So you guys should be looking forward to some like really awesome scripted stuff from us mm-hmm. uh like wild odyssey and yes. if you haven't seen wild odyssey make sure you guys watch that because we all worked really hard on that series to bring mm-hmm. it to life and it's 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 so very good uh five episodes down we only got one more to go so you guys should be expecting that uh pretty soon this week okay uh as for me 
You know, you can hit me up on Twitter at nice one ninety three, and you can email me at nice one ninety three at gmail.com. Uh, Blues, any social media links you want to throw out there? Um, yes, yes. Um, you can follow me on Twitter, which um is at the King Blues. Um, on Twitter, and I will be posting my stream schedules like when I'm about to stream on Twitter as well. Um, we're streaming um on my own channel, uh, Dragon Quest Builders. And on this channel, once it comes out, um, we'll be streaming Bayonetta 1, and we're going to be going through the entire series. So after that, we're going to eventually get to Bayonetta 2, then 3, whenever 3 comes out. Um, and you can fo- um, follow the Twitch page for me at twitch.tv slash thekingblues. Um, but other than that, I think that's my, my media links. I finally have them. They're set up. We've started streaming officially for Dragon Quest Builders, which is super cool. I'm having a lot of fun. Um, and Bayonetta comes out this Friday. I believe, and I'm stoked. I'm absolutely stoked. Looking I played the first and most of the second on the Wii U, and I'm glad to revisit these. Yeah, yeah, they're going to be fun games to go ahead and get a get a chance to replay, and especially with the portable aspect. But mm-hmm. anyway, guys, that's going to be it from us. Thank you guys so much for joining us. Uh, thank you so much for watching. We're back. We promise the vacation is over. Uh, it's not going to. We're not going to be gone this long again. So. You look mm-hmm. forward to seeing us very soon. Don't forget to watch yes. Wild Odyssey. Deuces. <laughs>